All right, welcome everyone to week six of the Hidden Pearls podcast. This week, again, we are in the Bay, so very excited. We've got to spend some time with our favorite 49er, who we love doing these live with him. It's very fun. Um, 49ers are playing the Rams at home. We are hosting, and we are talking to Solomon Thomas. So actually, the whole Thomas family is going to be on um, as we work with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So very uh, near and dear topic to our hearts. Solomon or the Thomases are very, very close to us and they're going to share their story. So we're very excited. Um, one thing I do want to point out is mm. our t-shirts. Okay, so we're going to do a little share on the t-shirts. Um, so on the front, we have our Hidden Pearls podcast. So this is our logo. We have our number 85 on the sleeve. So Georgie's number. And then if he turns all the way around, Thunderbird Performance. So Thunderbird Performance is our LLC. It's our other business. Um, but the thing that I love so much about these is this is my tattoo. So I actually have this tattooed on my back. Um, I'll share a picture of that someday. But... That's where our logo came from. That's kind of where our business name came from. So it is cool because uh, that brand is, that logo is literally right where my tattoo is. So I love it. It makes me smile every time. Um, Okay, so with that, uh, let's get right into our Quote Corner. Take it away, BK. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Quote Corner for week six. So um, we've been kind of working through all these pieces. And so this week's quote is from a gentleman, we call him the Big Duke. He is an offensive line consultant. You can find him on Instagram. Uh, his name is Dwayne Mannyweather. And so uh, I don't really know him. I've kind of followed him just because of my background with offensive line and that kind of stuff. But he's a technician and trains people and that. Um, so you can find him on Instagram, though, for sure. And I, and honestly, I'm giving him credit for this because I was listening to a podcast with like three of these guys, and I heard it, and I think he's the one that said it. And then I've tweaked it a little bit. But I'm going to give somebody credit because I didn't come up with it. So anyway, here's the quote. Trust and confidence are built on deliberate and repeated action and thought over time. I'll say it again. Trust and confidence are built on deliberate and repeated action and thought over time. So here's the point of it. Each of you uh, in your world want to feel, have some trust in your abilities and your skill sets. You want to feel confident in whatever field of play that you're working in. But trust and confidence don't just come to us. They don't just fall out of the sky and you just have them. I mean, there's certainly some people with that. So the point about this thing is if you want to have trust in yourself and you want to have confidence in your abilities and your whether it's a presentation or performing some kind of sport, it has to be earned. You earn it. You have to earn it. So that's what I want to say about that. So it's built on this foundation of deliberate And so when you practice, you have to be deliberate about what you're trying to accomplish, have to have specific goals in mind for what you're going to get better at that day. And then you have to critique it and reflect it. So on what you did, and then it has to be repeated over and over and over and over and over. You got to challenge yourself. You got to do hard things. And we've talked about doing that. But when you do that and you put yourself in those situations, that's how you grow. And so if you want trust, if you want to have confidence in yourself, you have to earn it and you do it through deliberate and repeated action. And I tossed in the thought that was not part of the original quote, but your thoughts, you have to practice the correct thoughts, positive affirmations, visualizations, and all that kind of stuff. And then repeat it over and over again over time. So that's the quote corner for this week. Encouragement to you to build that trust and confidence, to know that you got to earn it and go do the work in order to get to where you want to be. Thank you. All right, let's get our party. Take two, action!
All right, everybody, we are honored this week to have the Niner defensive tackle Solomon Thomas on with us today. Welcome and thank you for being here, Um, often referred to as Solly. Uh, He is one of our Niner defensive linemen. He was drafted by the Niners in the third overall pick of the 2017 draft. Um, that was a that was a heated draft for all of us. So yeah, yes, 2017 gra- draft class, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he played college ball at Stanford, graduating with a degree in communications. Following his last season at Stanford, he was named first team All Pac-12, mm. All American, and won the Pac-12's Morris Trophy. Given each season oh, to the Pac-12's best O uh, O lineman and D lineman, Solly is listed at 6'3", 280 pounds. Is that still true? How's your weight? Probably lost a little bit over, over <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> big boy, big boy. And yep. he is currently recovering after surgery following a knee injury versus the Jets in week two of the season. He will miss all of the 2020 season, and we are very sad about that. Um, but thank you for being here. Um, so let's talk surgery and recovery. Um, where are you? Who did it? How'd it go? And could you see Bosa from your room? <laughs> I wish, I wish, I miss Nick. We've been FaceTiming, <laughs> texting. He's been helping me through this process. It's, it's nice to. Ha- it's sad to say, but it's nice to have a buddy to go through this process with. Um, but so I had surgery a week ago. Um, Doctor Elitrosh in LA did it. It was a very successful surgery. Did my ACL and repair by lateral meniscus. So, you know, very thankful and blessed for that. Um, but yeah, so I'm down here in, in Orange County, um, Newport area. I'm going to be uh, rehabbing down here for a little bit. Um, and just getting after attacking this, this rehab, attacking this training, um, you know, just, just getting after it. Just want to get back with the guys and miss them. I love them. You know, it's hard being away from the team, but um, just part of the process I have to go through and part of my journey right now. So, so it's been good. I've had a lot of support and love, and I'm very, very thankful for that. That's awesome. Hey, Solly, when do you get to come back? And hang, when do you get to come back and hang out with us? So they, Doc wants around for four weeks, so I think after October I can start coming back to home games. Oh, I can't wait to see you, Doc. No, I'm, I'm going to hug y'all really hard. Mm. <laughs> got to get through protocol, but then, I'll, yeah, I'll give you a hug. You got to oh, yeah. get tested first. <laughs> yeah, so I got to get tested first. <laughs> I know. Oh, wait, how is that going to work? Because I, when I come back for a home game, I have to come back, like, early, right? Uh, you'll have to get the – Three days. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. The, the testing protocols have increased. We get tested yeah. all seven days of the – we get tested all seven days of the week now. Um, and then like the clickers and the connects on things that track who you're next to and stuff like they're stricter yeah. with those things. Um, the NFL actually checks the cameras in the building now. I read that teamwork's message. I was yeah. So it's like they check the the weight room, the cafeteria, and like main walking areas and stuff like that. The NFL has access to all those cameras. So like if you're not wearing a mask, you can get fined at your facility, which is. I mean, wild, but wild, but I, I mean, appreciate I, it. I appreciate it because yeah. you know what, yeah. the the crazy thing is like you know the longer the football season gets, the more you know guys kind of get you know comfortable and they don't take it as seriously and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I think it's a, I think it's a good, especially like what happened with uh, you know like four or five NFL teams that are dealing with it right now. Yeah. I, I, they're they're trying to save everything, so I, I appreciate it. But uh, it's crazy that they're going to be watching now. I know it's crazy. Yeah, I saw that team Merck's message. Watching the weight room cameras, I was like, "That's crazy!" But like you said, like we want to have a season, we want to be able to play, so we appreciate it, and we want to be safe. So it's a big deal. Yeah, I think the people that get in, just like if they come in occasionally, they actually have to show at the facility for the two days. They have to have forty-eight hours of clean test plus that morning. 
Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of really difficult. The, so um, really up to everything. Our uh, massage therapists, they have to get tested six days a week now because they come in two days. So they get tested every day, but game day. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So like Grace and all her team and like. They have to drive down six days a week to our facilities from Oakland to get tested. Right. They just get tested and then they leave. They're not even coming in that day, but they got to get tested. I hope they're giving them some gas money or something. Dude, that's what I say. I hope they're getting gas money because that's wild. That's a while and they're missing out on, you know, work experience. Yeah. Money themselves. So. Well, we appreciate it because, you know, shout out to all of them. Acupuncturists, soft tissue, chiropractors. Yeah, we love you guys. A lot. Makes a difference, right? Got to take care of the body. So, all right. Enough of that soft tissue talk. Hey, so let's, uh, let's jump in. Stanford, your communications major, your effective communicator, very articulate, bright guy and all that stuff. Yeah, you and George are both communications major. It was either that or molecular science, but, you know, anyway. Um, so the real <laughs> thing is, in the same year that you were drafted by the Niners and John Lynch was the GM you were classroom buddies in a class and he he actually, he recommended that you leave Stanford and enter the draft recommending that. And coincidentally then drafted you with the third pick. So what's the story about that whole thing? What's the conspiracy behind all that? (laughs) He was manipulating a young, innocent college guy. Is that right? What happened? Do you feel taken advantage? This is is true. So my first class at Stanford, I'm walking in, (laughs) And in the first row, I see this kind of like older looking gentleman. And With a strong like, oh, jawline. Advanced. They call <laughs> it the jawline. advanced learner. That's what they call him yeah. at Stanford. Advanced, advanced learner. learner. Yes. And old I walk guy. past the front row and I look, I'm like, that's John Lynch. And I was like, what, what is he doing here? I was like, this is so cool. That's cool. And so like all the football players kind of like, we don't want to get too close to him, but we don't be too far from him. So we're kind of getting the second row. like kind of right. so directly behind him. him. Nice. Like after the class, like he he comes up to us, like he, he talks to all of us. He obviously knows that we're football players. We're all in our sweats and everything, and just so that was super cool. But so that's how I got kind of got a, a relationship with John, and like through that class. And then so my uh, he he came and t- he spoke as a team captain to us before a game, and I reconnected with him that then the next year and the following year. Um, you know, I asked my buddy Christian McCaffrey for his contact because our family friends. Um, just the Broncos and everything. And I called John before my bowl game against, uh, before our bowl game against the, um, we played North Carolina. And uh, no, no, not that one. Not <laughs> that one. Uh, before North Carolina. Rose Bowl. We'll come back to that later. Yeah, later. We, we got that in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> the dancing so cows. I, I yeah. And I was like, hey, John, like, I'm, I'm really kind of like in between right now. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do because, like, you know, I love Stanford. I love the team. I love my guys. Um, and I also, also want to develop to be the best player I can before I leave. But I also am seeing, you know, the upside, and I'm feeling the best I've ever felt in my career. Like, I feel like no one can stop me. I feel like this is honestly, like, kind of like, you know, just, just easy work right now. So, like, I was talking to him about it, and he was just giving me advice. And at the end of the day, he said, Solomon, all you need to do is go have the best bowl game of your life, and then that will take care of your decision for you. So I went and I actually, I had the best game of my career probably. And, um, and I decided to leave. And then uh, a month later, he becomes a GM of the 49ers. And I didn't meet with him at all. I had no contact with John since that call. um, And then didn't have a meeting with the 49ers or anything like at all. And then I get drafted by them and it was like nothing. Yeah. Nothing. (laughs) They didn't have you in or anything. No, nothing. So nothing at the draft, no visit. And yeah, it was, so that kind of came, really came out of nowhere. 
Yeah, and because like, my agent was like, hey, they've taken two D linemen in the past draft. Like, you're probably – it's a very rare shot. So, um, we didn't, you know, yeah. think it was going to happen. Well, there you go. There you go. Huh. That worked yeah, out. So, yeah. So, that's kind of John and I's relationship. And, you know, it's not two Stanford guys. You know, I love him and his family. They've been amazing to me. So, it's been, it's been great. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, as long as we're on the draft. So, uh, take us through that a little bit. So, getting drafted, third pick. Mm-hmm. I mean, dreams come true. I mean, that's what everybody plays for. And- you were there at the draft too, right? Yeah. I was, yeah. yeah so was you, like? You're in the green room. We have, uh, yeah, we have draft so cool. fashion uh, pictures. I'll flash those up too. We have pictures of Solly <laughs> yeah. in his suit. Yep. It was it was so cool. Like uh just just getting there, the the whole weekend, the energy was so high, everyone was so happy. Um, you know, with family and close friends, you know, um just walking down the red carpet with my mom and dad, you know, just getting to take pictures with them, doing interviews with them, you know, it was just it was such a such a cool time to go in the green room with my family at the table and just waiting to be called, like seeing all these like NFL legends walk around, seeing all these like just like just such cool people. So it was it was super fun, and uh, you know, getting my name called like the third pick was my my heart started racing, and like having my mom and sister just kind of yank up my arms while I'm getting, <laughs> getting my call, and That's you know, my dad just looking really proud. Like it was for sure like an amazing moment, a moment I'll never forget. So it was super cool. Well, yeah, because your dad sent me a picture of you on there right after the pick, and those two they were right next to you, and and they just beam, and you know, your mom just like radiant you know kind of going there's my boy and all that stuff so very cool experience that's uh that's pretty cool okay so uh let's see well before we jump on i don't know do we have to talk about iowa rose bowl and that was the 216 rose bowl fall in the 215 season we're kind of okay because george cut out most of everything i was going to bring up uh so i can't bring up any of those things no no no, no. That's right. wait can we can we tell the backpack story because i think this is hilarious Oh, <laughs> George is so mad at me for wearing my Rosewell backpack. And he wears just, it everywhere. I was just like, okay, okay. Dude, so for graduate people who don't college. Know, though, for yeah. people who don't know, though, let's yeah. get a little backstory. backstory yeah, George, yeah. do you want to do the backstory or Solomon, you want to do it? No, it's all right. So uh, every bowl game, you, the guys usually get backpacks, you know, stuff embroidered with the bowl that you go to. And so we all get Rosewell backpacks. Solly gets one for Stanford. Iowa gets one. And I, w- I always wear uh, – like I just wear different backpacks. I don't wear my college one anymore. But it was like I think this was last year. He was like I saw it his rookie year. I gave him sh- I gave him shit for it. Like dude, come on, I graduate man. Okay, like, but also the Rose, Rose Bowl, Bowl. Iowa played Stanford. Oh yeah, yeah. I hope everyone knows that. That no, I don't remember that game at all. Nothing happened. They canceled the game. No, they just they gave they gave the trophy to uh, yeah. McCaffrey, and that it was, was more it. of a participation trophy. That was no. it. Yeah. No, we didn't. We weren't there that day. No, this right. is here, wait. Right. Let me tell. This is a football story from that. I'm sitting in whichever end zone, and I, so you, Iowa kicks off. Stanford comes out with the ball. And so I'm watching their 20-yard line. I'm, like, right at that end zone, right behind it, about 15 rows up. Got perfect view. And so I was in their classic 4-3, you know, and Iowa never changes for anybody. So they have two backs. They put McCaffrey in motion. He goes to the right side of the field. They're on the left hash. He's just split. Iowa, in their, you know, just their way. All they do is they walk the Sam out. He's got nobody over the top. No, it was our it was our starting strong safety oh, Jordan so, Lomax who had a oh. brand MCL. Anyway, so but he's got like <laughs> there's not like he they're not stacked. They got nobody no. over there because now there's no two help. receivers. They got the corner walked, and there's a single high safety way over the top. And of course, exactly what happens, you know, McCaffrey Troy boop boop, and then throw the ball, and he races, you know, seventy eight yards. It was a two yard toss. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then he runs seventy eight for a touchdown, and I was like, that's that's the Iowa way, and then. 
kind of went that way the whole day. Yeah. So anyway, that yeah, was exhilarating. Super yeah. fun. So yeah. after that, yeah. and then they you gave guys, him and you guys finished, I think they gave up, was it seven sacks? Seven or eight. Cause they were trying, I wasn't there. I they were trying to, <laughs> cause they kept, cause I talked to the, cause I, I mean, I'm, no, a, I'm an O-line guy and they were working on, uh, cause you guys are kind of a three, four team, but then flip in and out and they were trying to adjust calls and they just never got it figured out. And it was just yeah. like a, it was just, in hockey, we call it a sieve. You know what I mean? Just like it was porous. But anyway. It's being a dead horse, man. Oh, oh God. It's one of the most painful. Anyway. Okay, enough of that. So let's hey, jump. Wait, wait, wait. The oh, backpack yeah, backpack story. story. Sorry. Yeah, I stop hijacking my conversation. Okay. All right, go, George. No, so Solomon wears his Rose Bowl embroidered backpack. It was his rookie year, and I gave him crap for it. He wore it the next year. For like, two years after the game. I was like, dude, like, no, he wore it every day to the <laughs> facility. Like, that was his backpack. Which is like three years after the actual yeah. And I was like, dude, graduate. Like, that's what I kept saying, though. I kept giving him shit for it. Because me and CJ are in there. We're just like, come on, man. Because at the time, too, Greg Mabin, who's also an Iowa guy in our class, we're all sitting there. We're like, dude, Solly, man, like, get rid of it. Like, you can afford, sorry, a, nice, you can afford a nicer one at this point. I was trying to, I was trying to save money. That's my excuse. Oh, <laughs> oh relax. <laughs> right. Okay. So you stopped wearing the backpack. It was a big backpack. I could fit a lot in it. It was. It was. was They're nice backpacks. Very comfy. It was an Oakley backpack. You know, super nice. See, dude, we didn't even get an Oakley backpack. We got some off-brand backpack. It's crazy. See, that's we 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 never get the never get the really good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, Just a little bit of let's talk. um, We were wondering though because we got you. uh, You've had some. um, We wanted to ask you about. So D line coaches currently, Chris, Mm -hmm. and how do I say it? Kosurik. Kasurik, yes, yeah, okay. And then before, did you did you have Coach Kiffin? Yeah, he was in the I system. Had, yeah, so I uh, coached Chris Kiffin, and then uh, we also had Coach uh, Jessica Nina. All right. So I just want you know how's the what how's that different? Is there a lot? And I, I don't want to put you too much on the spot because I know you you know don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and all that kind of thing. I'm not. Yeah. I'm sure they're all really good, high quality coaches. Wow. That's the nature of the NFL. People kind of move and people get replaced and all that kind of stuff. So, but how is it with the uh, current coach and all that kind of stuff? And how is it different? No, yeah. Uh, Coach Chris came in last year and he totally, totally changed like the tempo of our, our defense. He came in, you know, if you know C- Coach Chris, um, you know, he's he's very high energy, animated, high like yeah. very animated, like that's he's awesome. very into his work because that's how he is. And he's like that 100 percent of the time. Like he's never not Coach Chris. Like he's always like run to the ball, go crazy, give it all your effort. Like and, you know, he cares about it that much. Like and that's how much it means to him. So. You know, like it's sometimes it's hard with coaches like that in the NFL because, you know, it's like what how are players going to take it? But he's his way all the time. And he cares so much that we're going to play our ass off for him because he shows how much he cares for us. He shows how much he loves us and how good he wants us to be. Yeah. So, dude, sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was piggyback that dude. I I can see that his first day, like he was just screaming the whole time in OTAs. And I was like, wow, this is intense. Like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) But then like towards the end OTAs, you can see how much he cares for you guys, like how much he loves you guys. And then into the season and like he loves football and each and every single one of his players is his son. And I like you, you can play for a coach like that that loves you that much. And then he is the same guy every day. He's never different. He doesn't have down days. He is always top notch, full go. We get to play football today, and that's always his mindset. So he he's incredible, and I'm so happy we have him on our staff. Yeah, definitely. George hit it on the head. That's yeah, that's Coach right. Chris every day. He's he's him. Yeah, because I was uh, crazy. Meetings are just as intense as <laughs> dude. I can't understand. I don't know. I want to sit in on one. I don't think they shouldn't have any meeting room close to ours because of how loud he is and how much he yells. 
but like he's just like on top of every detail like he'll repeat the play to us like 20 times just so we ingrain it in our head he'll like spend time to come up with like you know an, an analogy or like just word association just so we remember things easier and so everything just works better That's like really he cool. he really like loves this stuff more than anything and, yeah. and it shows and it, and it shows in his players too and the improvement we've had in this, as defense how dominant we were last year so yeah we love him and we appreciate him a lot all right. Well, very cool. Okay. So, uh, Oh, I'll ask the question. So okay. I, I talk a lot about, um, a question I get asked by media people all the time is like, how was my off season? Like with yeah. COVID, um, like how different it was, the changes I had to make. Um, cause you had an awesome off season, like, fuck, I mean, sorry about my language, but you had the, <laughs> you had the best camp of your career so far, right? Like that's how you saw, like you were crushing dudes left and right. And so was, that was fun to see. So like, how was your off season? And like, what were the biggest challenges you had to overcome, like because of the quarantine stuff? And yeah. uh, did you enjoy your off season? Yeah. So this off season was definitely a great question. And this off season was probably my hardest off season of my career. I had my first two surgeries. Um, so I tore my labrum against the Seahawks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the season. Brutal. So I played through that for the Super Bowl. Then I got it done in February. Oh, and then like exactly a month after that. I got a bone spur taking out of my ankle, but I'll send you all a picture of the bone spur if you want to put on the show or not. It's really disgusting. Dude. But well, I think I, I feel like we have to. Yeah, I've had double. I've had both ankles done in college for bone spurs. It's Ooh. gnarly. It's gnarly, and and you know they. I don't think they understand how bad it is sometimes because my bone spur was so big that um, they had to cut through my deltoid ligament and make it an actual surgery instead of a microscope, like uh, you know, microscopic. Okay. Brutal. And just for the fans, we're gonna cut this in five seconds so that like this is going to flash on the screen so if you don't want to watch just close your eyes okay Four, three, two, one. Get, get spur. And we're yeah, off. Okay, okay good okay rewind yeah, so, it watch it again um, dr anderson who did my ankle surgery said it was the biggest bone spur he's ever had in his career and if you know dr anderson he's one of the most he's world-renowned for ankles and stuff and so he's seen a lot of ankles and bone spurs in his career so it was so it, the season, the off season started off really tough, you know, and then COVID hit and, you know, I'm stuck in Dallas, but, you know, I'm stuck at home with my parents and my girlfriend. And I'm also stuck with my, with a great uh, PT facility and, and an even better treatment facility with one of my treatment guys that I use in Dallas named Scott Herrera, who works magic with me. Um, and so he was able to, you know, we actually completed my shoulder, you know, it's normally a six month recovery. I was full go in three months. Um, wow. and my ankle, I was, uh, you know, it was, it's probably, it was, they said six, eight weeks, but you know, it was definitely a worse than just like a, um, a scope and a bone spur. Cause they had to cut, cut through my ankle, I have a big scar on my ankle. Um, so like it was, that was like a two month recovery and I came back to see the team in July, you know, just to check in and stuff. We're actually late June to check in and stuff. And they were blown away by, uh, my recovery and they were like you know like everything's perfect like they were like shocked because they kept trying to get me to come back because you know they're like with covid you probably can't get access to gyms and stuff i was like i'm good i got it just trust me and i come back and they're like yeah so they're they're happy about that so yeah so that those are probably the biggest challenges of you know um my covid off season but also like me just mentally it was it was tough at times you know just like the world was kind of going crazy, you know, there's a lot of, there was COVID, there was like all the social injustice riots and everything. And, 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 and so it was just like a lot at, at some time to kind of like would feel like overwhelming or exhausting. And so, you know, I try to, I try to be active, you know, I try to like set an example and, and try to learn myself and be, become a leader and 
you know, the social injustice and, you know, just being like with the COVID stuff too, I want to do things right. I want to protect people, you know, um, you know, I want to make sure, you know, I'm doing things right. So, uh, so it did get overwhelming at times, but, you know, like I said, I was around the people I love and I care about, and I was really able to dive into those relationships, cherish them, you know, make them stronger. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was an interesting off season, but it was, it was good. It was honestly the most, in, like probably the most challenging I've ever had, but also the, probably the best one I've had and made the most improvements. Um, and then I came into camp, like you said, George, and I finally felt like myself in three years, had the best camp of my life. And, you know, but, you know, things happen for yeah. you know, <laughs> my ACL and, you know, but uh, I'm more confident than ever, even with a torn ACL, um, you know, I felt it again and that's all I needed and now I can roll with that the rest of my career. Yeah. yeah I mean, you definitely like, once you feel like you've got that routine down, you're like, I, like, I know it makes my body feel like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm good to go. And you hit that. Like now, like now you have the process down and yeah. like, yeah, you're, you're rehabbing an ACL, but like you can, your rest of your body, your upper body can, you could start just smoking it and yeah. you're going to be, you're going to be massive. Yep. Jeez, stay on the inside. <laughs> and so you were, yeah, you were staying in, they pretty well playing you inside, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So I also through those two surgeries, I forgot to say, I had to gain about 15 to 20 pounds. So it was like rehabbing while not being able to train while trying to gain weight in a healthy way. So, you know, mom and girlfriends cooking helped out a lot. Um, That was that was a that was actually a plus of COVID, you know, being stuck in the house, not being able to eat out. My mom and girlfriend were cooking their tails off for me. Dad was too. so I was I was very lucky. I, I had a really nice situation. I actually I built a home gym. My mom could send you all a picture. I actually built a nice home gym in my parents' garage, and you know I, I got them a sauna, and so I got them on their own little um, health routines too. So that's awesome. you know the whole family's kind of kind of in in a good little routine right now. So it's been good. Yeah, we we talked to them. They're looking pretty fit. Oh yeah. Lean. Martha Martha's kind of ready to go about twelve, you know, and your dad's always I know, like she is. cross country runner kind of guy. So it's all yeah. My dad my dad's walking like crazy amount of miles a day he's just going non-stop but yeah yep. it's good to see um, them doing well we're about to do the fashion preview i get you know uh so i'm just going to jump off script just a little bit so you know you mentioned um stuff around with you know, george floyd and all the social unrest and those pieces um, okay you know and i just i kind of want to when you know your mom and dad ron we talked to them a little bit and obviously that's a little bit of the focus with our charity focus and where we're going here a little bit later but uh, your mom did talk about uh, situations where you and your sister both faced, I don't know, want to call racism necessarily, but like situations where certainly you were singled out because of your color and there were situations about that. And I guess I just, you know, we, you know, I don't want to, you don't have to go too far into it. I'm just, you know, about we, we've tried on this show to tackle a little bit about systemic racism and some of those kind of pieces. And I guess as long as you kind of brought that up and I just want to give you a minute to just share with us maybe either something you've gone through or your perspective on it or, you know, how we're approaching it. Mm. Yeah. So I, I've been blessed to be born into a biracial family um, and be, be a biracial kid. Um, so I get to see, you know, kind of both sides of it sometimes. And, um, you know, I've, I've been connected with my white family and also my black family, my black side of the family. Um, so, uh, you know, growing up, um, I, we kind of were always in more heavier kind of white areas and it kind of, especially when I was kind of cognizant of everything, kind of could like understand like my race. Because my growing up, my dad and mom, my dad always was like telling my sister and I, hey, like Ella and Solly, like, like you have to be careful. You have to understand certain things because you're black. And we would be like, like, dad, what are you talking about? Like, we're fine. We're all good. And then we moved to Texas. And then, you know, we kind of understood what 
he was talking about. And so like growing up in like fourth grade, like, you know, first day of class, you know, this kid calls me a nigger and he calls and he tells me that I, uh, that his brother's going to come kill me because I'm an N word or whatever. Like, and like, I remember going home and told my parents, and I didn't really understand it. I was in fourth grade, but my parents remember my mom crying and my dad getting so frustrated and it made me, that made me frustrated. And then understanding what it meant, that made me more frustrated. And so that was just like my first experience. But throughout my life, like I've growing up in a white town, I, I've experienced plenty of systemic racism and personal racism and, or just like prejudice thoughts thought out towards me or like being singled out in a store, not letting me leave the store unless I empty my pockets or like, you know, getting caught with my, um, getting, um, put over with my white girlfriend and then all the, them asking making sure she's not stolen, making sure that I'm not, um, I'm actually your boyfriend that she knows me, you know, that there's that, that kind of stuff like I've gotten consistently over in my life. Um, but so when all, when all these like kind of riots and kind of people kind of kind of waking up this year after George Floyd happened, you know, I thought it was like, I want to, I want to be really positive about it. Cause I was like, you know, this is great. People are starting, starting to take action. People are starting to educate themselves and, and, and do things, but it also made me really sad. I was like, this has been happening. Like since I can remember, like this has never stopped since Emmett Till. Like this is con- like innocent black men have continued to be killed and murdered over and over again. And so I'm just like, why, why is it now that we're finally seeing this? Like what is changing? So that was kind of like my initial process. And, you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to, um, I want to like, I'm still educating myself. There's a lot I'm learning. Like black history is not something that just is just straight out taught in our schools or our education system. So, you know, I'm learning a lot myself and trying to, you know, just be more vocal and, and share my experience and try to educate people on history of what actually happened or what they're missing out that they didn't learn about from the black history side that, you know, is why this is the way it is. So, um, you know, there's a lot of changes to be made. You know, I think a lot of it's, People need to put them on themselves to, you know, educate themselves. People need to put it on themselves to teach others and educate others if they are not educated. And and just to put to not condone it, like to like if you hear it, see it, just or say it. Like you got to make sure that you know, like to tell someone that is wrong. You can't say that. Like so, I'm just, you know, I'm just like I'm continuing to like, like kind of manifest. Like I know where I am in this, like in all this, but as a leader, I'm trying to figure out how to take that next step to be more vocal and to, you know, cause like in, growing up in a white town, it was never, I could never speak about it. Like, it was just like, like I would go to like my black friends and we would talk about it and we would cook, like vent about it and talk about it with my mom and dad. Like, you know, if it was taken to the school, they wouldn't do anything. So finally, when I went to Stanford, I was able to speak about it. And now I'm in a platform and I'm able to speak about it and people listen. So I'm continuing to try to do that, learn. I'm trying to learn about the systemic problems like within the government and, um, you know, within the communities, like, there's stuff that's still happening from the 1960s that hasn't changed in our government. Like people don't realize that. And like, it's so, so there's just a lot going on. It's going to be overwhelming. Like I'm talking my out of a fire hose right now, <laughs> it's okay. so, but so there's a lot that's important. So yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to become a leader in it and take steps and educate myself and help others. Okay. Well, a whole bunch there and it probably deserves a whole yeah. other kind of podcast. So I would just say this, you know, cause you talked about not being taught. So, um, I, I did uh, about three weeks ago, a two day CLE focusing on the history of slavery in the United States. And they, then the tie in was kind of the legal system and how it condoned it and supported it and all that kind of stuff. And I, I gotta just say, it just, you know, I mean, there were components of it from the, like the constitution side and like the civil rights stuff in the sixties and all that, but the early, you know, cross Atlantic stuff with the African nations and that, and the whole pieces, it, it, it was a lot of it. I'd heard bits and pieces, but to hear it kind of in a consistent piece, 
really did kind of just kind of blow me away, you know, just the pieces of it and the particularly the history in the United States from slavery into the Jim Crow. And then even that, you know, uh, it just is a brutal history. So, and I guess the only other thing, you know, I think the first time it opened for me was I was with a family uh, that we knew and we were, we were living in Madison, Wisconsin, actually. And they were having this whole streak of driving while black, you know, (laughs) just constant. It was just a huge thing. And there was a family that we knew in our neighborhood and we were chatting and uh, the dad and I were outside and he kind of just said something. He he says, I know, you know, your heart's in the right place. He said, but you've never had to sit down with your two kids and coach them on what to do if they're stopped by law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And you've never had to have them drive across town at 10 o'clock at night and worry that they're not going to make it home, you know? And so like, you know, when they kind of really explain the whole thing, you know, and you read about it and you do all that, but you know, I never had to say any of that to Emma and George growing up, you know, I didn't really worry about it or think about it. I guess I heard about it. But like when, you know, you hear that and how powerful it is for people. And these are like, you know, fam, he's an engineer, wife's a teacher at the university, you know, it's like, it, it really does kind of rock you that way. So there's just so much to it. So anyway, well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And uh, maybe we can collaborate down the road a little bit more on, on kind of some more outreach on those pieces. Definitely. So, thank you. Okay. No, I would love well, Can you send me the link to that place that the, 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 wherever you learned, got to like do the course. I would love to. Yeah, it was, th- I will do that. So when we get down, I'll, I'll send you a list yeah. of the course I yeah. took and the guy, he was out of Minneapolis, so he did it. So it was coincidentally, but he was out of Minneapolis, but I will do that. So, Okay. This feels like a light and fluffy flip over to the fashion preview. I feel, yeah, sorry, I feel like it's a little out of cue, but um, okay. let's do fashion. I have to find shoes. I know. I didn't think you had shoes. I didn't. But give me one sec. All okay. right. George has to go get a shoe. All right. Well, so, you, so I can open though, because we, we've got some great shots of you. Uh, you're kind of a suit guy. So do you want to kind of explain your kind of swag, uh, game day swag, and how you decide and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I've always like, so when I started off, uh, I didn't really leave in college. I wasn't too into fashion. Like I didn't really have my own fashion like style yet. I was still learning. Um, I was just dipping into it. And I was like kind of finding like what I liked in my ways and what I'm kind of used to. And so when I first got off into when I first got drafted, I was like, dang, we have to dress up like once a week. huh? So, um, you know, I went to like being drafted. Like I, I, I got a few free suits, which is very nice, but also I got, um, I bought some suits from this guy in Dallas and I was just mixing and matching them, um, my, my rookie year and just going, just like kind of just playing around and, and, and having fun. I was more kind of like, you know, I, I like blue. So I got a lot of blue colored suits and, um, you know, just, I'm all over the yeah. blue, man. That's yeah. yeah. My mom likes me in the blue. So I always like, I always like yeah. wearing blue. She's like good in it. So I trust her. Um, uh, and I feel good in it. Uh, so, like, I just, like, kind of mixed and matched. And then um, second year kind of switched it up a little bit and did some suits, some not suits. And last year I was back to more more suits, more more formal, a little. It was, a, it was, last year was a lot of the, uh, the um, damn turtleneck. That's what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, that's right. Not many people that. can pull that off. Yeah. That is a vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah a good look. Very suit last year. It's very cool. So I love that look. So I did that a bunch. And, yeah, you know, my, my girlfriend and my mom helped me a lot out with my fashion. It's, I'm still learning, but I'm, I'm, be, I'm getting better at it. I feel like you go with a lot of like the emerald tones too. Like your mom sent us a couple photos. I think I have like a red and a green, like an emeraldy green color. It's, I'll yeah. mash it up, but very cool. Very good colors. 
I love that. Suits group. are so cool. He's almost a hidden pearl. But oh my goodness! Yeah. Ah, like a gem. Wow. Ah, wow. That's cool. All right. Well, anyway, you look great well, so, all the time. So it's so really you cool. always like to dress up, though. Like I don't think I've ever seen you at a game. Kind of, like George is. I feel I wear t-shirts and jeans. I feel like George is like the punk rock of football fashion. Right, stuck in the '90s grunge. He is. He is. He's a little '90s grungy. <laughs> where you yeah. like to go a little dressier. Well, a lot dressier. Yeah, I'm a little more formal. My dad. My dad was really formal growing up. Always saw him in a suit and tie and like just working. So like I just wanted. Yeah, I wanted to do that. And yeah, so. I just like, yeah, I like the suit. I thought it was clean. I thought it looked good. Um, you know, I think good. it makes you look sharp. So. You look very Does good. your dad wear the turtleneck underneath the suit, too? I've never seen him in that, but I, I hope <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah, baby. Oh, that's pretty funny. So, okay. Right. George, what do you got for us? Oh, these are the shoes I'm wearing this week. Um, Ooh. We just laced them. Um, hold on for that one. I'll open this one. Where'd you get those? Uh, oh, it's a free plug for StockX. Sorry Ooh. about that. Ooh. But these are uh, Jordan 3s. Retros, Dang. they're actually the Jokers. Right. Purple, neon green. I'm excited Ooh. about these. They Joker. came with gray laces, which purple I thought looked cool they were, too. They were purple laces, kind of a dark. I thought they were green. There's this purple right here. That's purple. Well, yeah, 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 they think it's purple, purple and green. But yeah, just got these. What are you in. With it? Uh, I got a I got a custom Nike shirt that's being revealed on Sunday night. Have you seen that yet, Solid? No, I got it. Uh, they gave me enough to give to like some of the t- players, but I'll, I'll I'll get one for you. Wait. We have one in Nashville. I'll send you one. It's what not, you, it's what not you even getting released officially until Saturday or Sunday. Saturday or Sunday. What are um? What size are you? Medium. Medium or what? <laughs> I actually think you would rip through. He likes t-shirt. them tight though. You got to show them. Two XL. I'll say I got an extra double XL Nashville. We'll send it your way. I got to get you and Bose on the train. Yeah. You brother. Yeah. No. What's Armstead a, fu- uh, a quad? <laughs> he's gotta be you know, like four, four he's huge he's human. honestly javon is just i don't massive. have a shirt big enough for him dude he's a big dude he's gotta be a 4x how does he buy pants every like every <laughs> the body is just so like, massive i'm like what he's like uh near my in college when i first came to college it was like andrews pete he's, like, he's a guard for the uh saints now just he was massive. The first round pick, but he was just a massive human being just like just like this like they're the only two humans I've seen like that. Dude, his calf is the size of my quad. Legit, this big. <laughs> I just, I'm like, that's what I'm so happy that I don't have to hit those people and they usually don't tackle oh, me. <laughs> it's so awesome. Oh man. my goodness. Yeah, some big boys over there. So that's been a very talented D line. All right, that's our fashion preview. Thank you guys for watching. Okay. Oh. All right. Beautiful, George. Good man, job. Okay. Good job, everybody. Thank you. All right. Well, Solly, then, so our, as as you know, so our focus this week is on mental health and suicide prevention. Our charity focus is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So um, uh, we've already uh, talked to Andy uh, on the show. So he was the... uh, He's going to be coming up after for this segment, though. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, he'll come up after so people get a chance. So he's kind of go over, talked a lot about that. And so... um, we're having you on the show because we know this is such an uh, important issue for you. So uh, just going back, um, you've got a personal experience with this. Uh, your sister, Ella, uh, back in January of 2018, was lost to suicide. And I know that took you and your family on on quite a journey. And so I guess I just want to invite you. And, and so and Martha and Chris are coming up on the show a little bit later. And so we've had that interview with them. And they were really powerful and just great. Um, and so anyway, we just wanted to include you in that whole piece. So I, I guess if you want to share and you can go anywhere you want, just kind of your personal 
journey through that piece. And then you and I talked before this, that it took you on your own kind of, you know, battleground or struggle with mental health issues as well. So if you just, you know, want to talk a little bit about that, whatever you're comfortable would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I really appreciate y'all, y'all including me in it. You know, I always love shedding light on my sister and just, you know, just lifting her up. Um, so yeah, I lost my big sister Ella in January, 2018. Um, you know, she was, you know, my best friend, you know, my protector, you know, taught me how to do everything. Just, you know, the person I looked up to, she was like awesome to me, just like the cool kid who I just wanted to be growing up. And, um, you know, so when she passed away, it was like, this a huge part of my life was just kind of gone. Um, and it just kind of left me empty and like, kind of like just soulless for a little bit. I just kind of was like, just out of it. Um, but, uh, just throughout my like journey in mental health and like losing Ella, um, I've just kind of like figured out how I've learned how big of a problem mental health is in, in America and in the world. And I've just learned how many people are affected by it. Like, um, you know, when I came out with the article with Molly and I on ESPN, um, you know, just the responses that we got, like I'm getting like thousands of people coming at me talking about, hey, I've lost my brother, my, my sister, my mom, dad, whatever, like cousin, like, I've lost my best friend. Um, you know, just so many people reaching out like with the similar stories or saying like I've struggled personally and and stuff. And then like same thing when um, we did the AFSP Out of Darkness overnight walk in Dallas, um, you know, we we were surrounded by like a thousand people all with similar stories. And, um, you know, until you're affected by mental health is what I learned is that until you're affected by it, you don't understand how big of a problem it is. And it is such a big problem. And it's so important for us to talk about and us to, you know, um, you know, to address and end the stigma against mental health. So that's kind of, you know, my introduction to, you know, why I started to be a mental health advocate, why I started, you know, to care about it, why my family and I are, are you know, creating our own organization. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of like my introduction to it all. Sally, I got a question for you. So when, like, in your, I don't know, your recovery, you know, after uh, she passed, what was one thing that helped you, like get back to your normal self, like mm-hmm. something that you focused on or something that you found that would like help someone else maybe going through a similar process. Because I mean, I, I assume that you tried different things that might've worked, didn't work. Um, but like, what was one thing, if you remember it, that really helped you um, kind of come back? I'm going to be honest. It took me to feel like my real self again. It took me a while. Um, you know, I felt like it took almost nine months, uh, you know, um, until I started getting help. Um, and that took me a while. I was just, like I said, like I was kind of like empty. Um, you know, I didn't really care about anything like towards the day. I was still like going to practice, working my ass off and like enjoying everything, but I still wasn't like my same person. Like I, um, you know, like during practice, you know, teammates would come up to me like, saw you okay. Like that kind of stuff. And that just wasn't normal for me. And, you know, I just, when I got to, you know, that dark place and I just knew like, that I really didn't care to wake up or go to sleep anymore. I was like, all right, I need help. And so actually John Lynch comes back into the story. He came up to me and he was like, Hey, he, he said, Hey, saw like, if you need help, like we got you, like we have your back. And the next day I thought about it over the night. And the next day I went to John, I was like, Hey John, like I really need help. So I went to him and, and started getting therapy in October and that kind of changed my life. Um, but you know, what kept me going on bef- that before that, like throughout all those days was, um, you know, I just wanted to honor Ella with everything I did, um, you know, uh, losing anyone in any way is super hard. And, you know, it's hard to like take that next step um, and hard to keep moving on and, and realizing, you know, life just goes on. Like sometimes when you don't experience like death close to you, you don't realize that, you know, once like 
you lose someone close to you, life just keeps going on. And it's hard to really process that sometimes. So what helps me get what helped me get through that and helps me get through that still is that you take all the amazing qualities from that person that you lost. Like for me, it's Ella. So I take all the amazing qualities from Ella and I apply them to my life and I live for her every day. And I take those qualities and I try to emulate them and how I live. And I take the things I learned from her and, you know, I just attack life in that way, like for her. And, you know, and, and one of the biggest ways you can do that is um, understanding how precious life is and understanding how, how, how to like really search through what's real in this life and what you really matter and what really about and what you really value yourself. And that's huge. And that's kind of what helped me get through those days until I got to therapy. And then when I started getting through therapy, learning how to, you know, handle my emotions, learning how to, um, you know, validate my emotions, learning how to, you know, get through my anger, get through my sadness, get through my, um, you know, uh, confusion. Like once I learned how to like work through that, I, I continually got better and better and better. And was finally by the end of the season, I finished the game with like a good six games and was finally myself, like, and finally like feeling happy and good and actually feeling and taking in life again. So <clears throat> that's kind of like was my process getting back to me. Thank you. Well, and I just, uh, so just kind of building on that, I think just so uh, later on, you already mentioned um, AFSA, AFSP, the Out of Darkness Overnight Walk. And so you can kind of talk about that. But back in May of 2019, at the annual Lifesavers Gala, or Gala, what do they call it? Anyway. Gala. Gala, okay. Uh, you received the Survivors of Loss Award given to those who have shared their stories in an effort to help others further prevention initiatives and create change in your family, your mom and dad and yourself, and then you presented there. And I just took a little note out of this, and maybe, the, and I don't know if you have to say too much about it, but I, it was really struck to me. So your quote was, to be strong means to be vulnerable, willing to be uncomfortable, grow in the hardest times of your life, and be confident in your emotions. And then as part of the story, story, they kind of described it this way. Thomas wasn't set on rediscovering his old self as much as discovering the new Solomon Thomas. What he found was someone who wanted to take unspeakable tragedy and make it comfortably speak-able. Make it comfortable to speak, speakable, I think is the quote. Anyway, th- so you could talk about it. And I just wanted to tie that in, you know, when we talked to your dad, Chris, you know, one of the terms that he talked about all the time was tragedy to purpose. And then, and just talking with your dad now, you know, I mean, he kind of left corporate America and he's really serving as a consultant now with suicide prevention and mental health organizations because he said he just got to a point where he had to realign and put his time into things that he felt like really mattered. So, um, and I think you kind of mentioned this, but the vulnerability piece, because one of the things when we talked about Andrew and other folks is being willing to ask for help and then also for other folks to recognize and just like John did to come over and say, hey, do you need some help? We got your back and for other people to be able to reach out. So um, in that journey and all that, so if, if you want to tell us any more about the foundation against for suicide prevention, that'd be great. Uh, and then or any recommendations for people out there as far as dealing with or responding or preventing suicide? Definitely, yeah. So uh, the gala was, like you mentioned, was just a super, super cool event and being able to talk in front of like some really, um, you know, amazing people and, and getting to share my family and I story. Um, but yeah, that quote kind of like, kind of resonates with me and it's kind of like been my message to people. Like when everyone asks like, what's your message for mental health? And I go from like, okay, we, we've been stuck in this toxic masculinity, like old school um, way of mental health where we tell guys, we tell everyone just, Hey, tough it up, you know, get through it, be strong, like be tough. Like, and I take that as like, okay, we we have the wrong definition of strong and tough. Like, 
you know, so it really is easy just to be like, hey, like, I'm okay. Hey, I'm good. Oh, no, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll be fine. Like, but to dive into your emotions and be vulnerable and tell someone how you're really feeling, how you might be feeling awkward, how you might be feeling mad, angry, confused, wh- whatever it is, like to be able to tell someone those two emotions, I really believe that takes more strength than anything. You know, that's so hard. You know, we're taught in this day to not like mess up someone's happiness or not mess up someone's vibe, like, or like to not be a burden to someone, but you're not being a burden. Like the times that I've been vulnerable, that I've been vulnerable in my life, or I've had someone be vulnerable to me, there's always been a connection. Like there's never been a mishap there. It's always been like, they have that common feeling or they've had that common feeling or vice versa when someone's talking to me and like, it makes us both stronger. And I feel like those are the conversations that save lives. And those, and I, I really believe that is what strength is. And I was able, uh, I, I stole this from Obama, but um, I went to one of his like foundation um, conferences and he was talking about, you know, same thing, like kind of mental health and toxic masculinity. He was like, you know, to be a man is to not be tough. To be a man is to be a good human being. And, you know, I took that and I rode with it because I loved that. Because I was like, you know, that's what we need to redefine to be a man is. And we need to redefine being strong is as, um, you know, to be vulnerable. And, you know, in those times it, it, you have to be uncomfortable with someone like that. That is the most important and precious time because that can really change someone's life and really affect someone. But so that's like one of my main messages when I'm talking to people about mental health. And also the second part of my message I always tell people is that it's okay to not be okay. Like, you know, we're not like put on this earth to be perfect and feel perfect all the time. You're not going to, that's not life. We all know that's not life. Um, so it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to feel weird, awkward, angry, happy, sad. Like, it's okay. Like you're perfect the way you are. Like the way you're feeling the emotions, the way your emotions are make you act or feel, you're still perfect. Like there's nothing wrong with you. You, you're, you, you have to validate your feelings. You have to be confident in your feelings and your emotions and talk about them and make them feel real because you're feeling them for a reason. Um, so that's always like kind of been my message through it all. And what I tell people and what's kind of helped me, um, and helped me get through my, my struggle in my life. So, um, you know, that's kind of, that's, yeah, that's been my message, but, um, yeah, so yeah, but yeah, so like, that's just getting through everything. My family and I, two years after the fact, we're finally starting to make our own foundation and, you know, it's, we're super excited about it and we put a lot of work into it. We've had a lot of family members help and a lot of loved ones, you know, just, a lot of a lot of amazing people help us out and we're so thankful for everything but we want to change the world with mental health like we've we've been affected by it and it took a you know the most amazing person in our eyes away from us and like it's done that to so many people and um and we understand how big of a problem it is and we want to help anyone who's going through this who may have to go through this or who's going through it personally themselves so we want to make this the world like a better place um in a mental health way and in a way for everything as well so all right well, thank you for that. And I just, because your dad and I talked about this on the show with him, is that I grew up with a John Wayne masculinity model. You never talk about your problems. You swing first and you never share anything with anybody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it makes a great movie for a cowboy, but it's not a very good way to live your life. And so I appreciate comments about the healthy masculinity and being vulnerable enough to, to kind of share that. And I guess I'll just close with this uh, as far as uh, when we met with Andy, you know, he had the hope background which is AFSP and they had the hope t-shirt on and we told these stories and their real message was that the power is for healing is about telling the story, you know, giving voice to both the people who have left and the the stories of the people who have survived. Um, But that hope in and of itself is a, is a stance. It's a, it's a defiant measure 
to maintain your hope in the face of all that and telling stories is defiant. And so really encouraging people as a community to come together, to reach out, to rely on each other. You're not alone. There is a pathway out of this. There is hope down the road. And if we can all embrace that hope and all shine our own little lights, maybe we can lighten that pathway just a little bit. So anything else you want to say to folks or encourage them or anything else about the organization before we kind of wrap up? Um, I would say the only thing that's in my mind is you guys talked about, you know, how can like, how can you tell people, like, how can you help people get through this? What can you tell people to get through this or make the world a better place in this, this way? Um, and I would say that I think the most important thing is to continue the conversation and to continue to encourage people to talk, um, to make it normal, to make it normal to talk about your feelings, your mental health or how you're doing and to make it normal to reach out for help, to make it normal for to have a weekly check-in with your close ones or once a week, choose someone random in your, in your phone book and be like, you know, I'm gonna check on him and ask him, Hey, how's your mental? Like, um, you know, I have, I have a friend who does that with me like every two weeks and it, it, it makes me happy if I'm good or sad. And just the fact that he's checking on my mental, like, it, you know, it makes, this helps me out. Um, but like just doing stuff like that, I think is so important that will change the culture and that will change the stigma. If we continue to, to talk about it and make it a normal everyday thing. Um, yeah, that's like, I think that's a big way how we can like change the stigma and keep moving forward in this way. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, about, that's probably the last thing I would have to say. And, that we appreciate AFSP. We love them. They were the first organization to help us out after, you know, Ella passed away and the overnight out of darkness walks are so powerful. And I encourage people to go to them and, and try them out, you know, just to walk with a community of people going through the same problem and having, having the common issue, you know, and, and fighting against the same problem is, is really powerful. You know, hearing, like you said, hearing people's stories, hearing their loved ones' stories, you know, is, is extremely powerful and moving. And I feel like the, you know, that's what we need to do more. So okay thank you solomon for sharing man yeah yeah really appreciate you being on okay so sorry sorry jan just yelled one of our fans are over here and she's wanting to jump in on us but anyway um i have a question um (laughs) solomon says hi you can get on yeah jump in hi solomon hello (laughs) oh Oh, okay Okay, no event in life has ever been truly lived unless it's been recorded by photography. That is a rule in our family. So now, now this actually happened. Yes, okay. Emma, question. Um, something that, like, this whole episode, I think some the message that I keep getting is that wisdom is power, like knowing the signs, knowing what to do, knowing your resources, knowing how to talk to people, like making yourself aware of, like you said, like how serious of an issue mental health is, but then also knowing like what to look for and ways to help people. Um, And so I'm curious about like, George kind of touched on this, like what got you back to feeling yourself again, but like, do you have a daily practice that you do to now that you like just try to follow up with or stick to or like bring in so that like and it doesn't I mean whatever it is like just something that helps you to feel grounded or like yourself or pick you up or whatever definitely um you know I think it's it's hard for people sometimes to find a routine and find like you know what they're doing because I feel like it's not really taught like it's hard to like know where to go sometimes and everyone always like preaches you know therapy or 
meditation and stuff. And sometimes those things are hard to do. Um, like for me, therapy helped me out a lot and therapy is part of my routine. Um, you know, I'm kind of out of, out of my routine right now. Cause like life kind of took a turn for me, but you know, like getting therapy for me, um, I'm trying to meditate more. I'm trying to add that more into my routine. I use headspace a lot. Um, but you know, for me, like I try to make it, I try to set an intent for small things like to eat healthy, you know, that's part of my mental health to get enough sleep. That's part of my mental health to drink water. Like all those are part of your mental health because your mental and your physical are so much more connected than you think. Like your body's not going to work if your brain's not, not, you know, not working well um, or not functioning correctly. So all those things are so important. But yeah, um, yeah, I just think, yeah, so that's, that's like, those are small things that are part of my routine, but I like uh, to just like reflect on the day a little bit. I'm an overthinker, so my mind kind of goes crazy. So I like to like sit down for 15 minutes, not touch my phone or anything and just like kind of reflect on the day. And then I like to journal, um, writing things out helps get, Oh, my thoughts I overthink and just circle my head. That really helps get them out of my head. And that's like, honestly, it's been like kind of magic sometimes because I'll just be, I can't sleep and I'll get out a write or a type of my notes. And then suddenly like their thoughts are gone and like I get them, I put them on paper, I let them into reality and then I'm, I'm done with them. So that's what's helped me. But, uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. That's kind of my, been my routine. Yeah. That's great. It's very similar. There's a guy in sports performance, but uh, George Mumford, he did the mindful athlete, worked at the Lakers and all that, but he has what he calls the four A's. And the first one is awareness. So you got to know if what you're feeling or thinking, so you can kind of check into it. And then the next one is acceptance, which doesn't mean it's okay, but it's recognizing this is my current reality and how I feel. Uh, the next one is what he calls compassion action. So then you can act on it once you've kind of sorted through it. And the last one is kind of assessment, you know, how did it work for me? And some piece of reflection, looking back on it, so you can make corrections and changes in the future. So, so anyway, some some more mindfulness, which is what we're all about, trying to advocate and encourage people. So, well, Solly, thank you. Good luck with your recovery. We can't wait to see you when you do get back. Wish you the very best. Your family's been just terrific in this, so we're so grateful that one we know you. Your parents have been great friends of ours throughout this whole process, and uh, really wish you the very best and healing and all that kind of stuff. And so, thank you for being on the show. Emma, Georgie, anything else? Just thank you for coming on, man. We miss you. And I hope, I hope it's all going well. So we're looking forward to seeing you whenever you can come back. Yeah, because we miss all the boys. That we do. Thank you guys for having me on. It's an honor. I love all y'all. I love your family. Um, amazing friends, amazing people. And like George, I miss y'all, man. It hurts me not be with y'all. So I can't wait to see y'all and just hug on y'all from six feet away. So. <laughs> okay. Love you guys. Bye, Appreciate it. Okay. You take Big care, hugs. get your sleep and your water and all that kind of stuff. And we look forward to hearing more from you. Okay. Yes, sir. All right, man. All right. Thank take you care. so much. Bye-bye. All right. Thank y'all. Okay, everybody. So we are excited to introduce Andrew Bruning, area director for the Greater Bear Bay Area with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, who is this week's charity focus. Welcome, Andrew. So thank you so much for being here. Um, so Andrew is a suicide prevention advocate who has worked with AFSP since January of 2020. Um, Andrew has an undergraduate degree in history from Portland State University, a master's in nonprofit administration from the University of San Francisco, and is currently completing a certificate in nonprofit management from San, F- San Francisco State University. University. Andrew and AFASP believe that it will take all of us working together to stop suicide prevention. So, Pops, why don't you read the mission for us? I'll do a little bit on AFASP. Hey, what's the mascot for Portland State? 
Portland State is the Vikings. Uh, like it. University of San Francisco is the Fighting Dons. And uh, just one note, I had actually missed this earlier. I have completed that certificate. Oh, okay. I am not in school at all anymore. Congratulations. <laughs> um, so apo- apologies, apologies for missing that earlier. That's okay. On. Congratulations. <laughs> okay. Well, very good. You look very certified. Still paying for it. Still you look very certified. So that's excellent. Okay. So the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So established in 1987, AFSP is a voluntary health organization that gives those affected by suicide a nationwide community empowered by research, education, and advocacy to take action against this leading cause of death. All right. Then AFSP is dedicated to saving lives and bringing hope to those affected by suicide. They create a culture that's smart about mental health by engaging in the following core strategies. First is funding scientific research. The second, educating the public about mental health and suicide prevention. Third, advocating for public policies in mental health and suicide prevention. And four, supporting survivors of suicide loss and those affected by suicide in their mission. So that's a little bit about AFS. A, I'm, the F and the S is kind of getting to me there. I don't know. A-F-S-P. I know I have arti- sorry, <laughs> trouble articulating. So anyway, Andrew, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to have you as part of the show uh, with the focus uh, this week on mental health and suicide prevention. Um, honestly, you know, a very serious topic. And um, so we are very grateful for you to be here and share with us a little bit more about the work you do and the mission. So with that, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got where you are um, and what you do? Yeah, yeah. Thank you both for uh, the thorough in, uh, introduction. <laughs> um, it's a pleasure to be joining you and talking about suicide prevention and what we can all do uh, to be advocates and allies. And um, I, I think that that speaks to the story of how I came to uh suicide prevention with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is, you know, I have people in my life who are not with us anymore. Uh, They did not see a path forward. They didn't see an option and took their own lives. Uh, I have in my life today a very close friend who is struggling with suicidal ideation. And when I sort of became aware of American Foundation for, Suic- uh, for Suicide Prevention, it, it just struck a bell with me and said, you know, this is where I need to be. In California, you're only ever about 1.6 degrees of separation from suicide. So if you don't immediately know somebody, you're only about two degrees of separation from someone uh, who does. And that was a very galling and galvanizing fact for me. And I said, well, I can do something about this. I can change my passion into change, to turn our grief that we have together, to turn our laughter from sharing stories about people that we've lost into action, into advocacy, to walking together on these paths forward. So, um, while my tenure with AFSP specifically is about one year, one year of COVID. So is it one year or 10 years? It's hard to know at this point. Um, I have been in the nonprofits, uh, the nonprofit sphere for uh, about a decade at this point. And what I see myself as, what I see you two as, and what I see 
and everybody that I have the opportunity to meet as is not only storytellers, but also um, by putting their passion forward, we see the rippled impact and the, the you know, our impact is maximized. Yeah. Okay. And obviously the sign behind you says hope. So the stories of hope. And- <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it, it's, 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 sometimes it's hard to be hopeful, right? Like, and that's true. I have trouble being hopeful every day. I've got the background I've got the shirt, I've got the job and I'm not going to lie to you both you two and say that I'm hopeful every single day of the week or every single minute of the day. There are hard days. There are hard times. There are hard moments. And that's why we have to do this. That's why we have to share these stories to erode the stigma of mental health, to erode the stigma of suicide and, and proactively have these conversations. Right. So, and you mentioned being in the nonprofit arena for about 10 years. So uh, just, I mean, and I know you talked about the connection to the suicide prevention and that's what brought you to AFSP. So, but I mean, how does a person, so, I mean, obviously with your degrees and that you've always had a focus on moving into nonprofits and we're committed to that. I mean, what, what was it that triggered that initial decision that, you know, pushed you down? Cause I know that, you know, it's a super cushy job. You make tons of money, you got great benefits and you barely have to work. Right. So, uh, I can see those benefits, but other than that, right. Which we know is not at all true. Uh, why does somebody commit their lives to working within a nonprofit world? I mean, what was it that drew you to that and what was the connection? I've come a long way in the types of nonprofits that I've worked with, but the underlying current is community empowerment, community engagement, making sure that those voices are heard. Because I, I think that's one of the critical issues that we'll, we'll talk more about, I think, is it's, it's people feeling unheard. It's people feeling alone. And so we have the opportunity to step forward and say, you're not unheard. I hear you. You're not alone. I'm with you. And take steps forward with somebody to show them that even though the path is sometimes very hard to see, even though sometimes it's very hard to want to take a step forward, we can take a step forward together. Um, reading your bio, uh, I love that it says um, empowering and every single line. Well, it's empowering or advocating. <laughs> and it's great because what you're saying is like you have to put words to it and you have to empower people to know what to say and to how to have these conversations and to build community because as much as we want to pretend that it's just this thing, I think a lot of us have realized how insanely introvert we all are with this pandemic and your whole like concept of community has drastically changed and so I can't imagine how I mean I can't imagine but just how important that your work is now um and everything you do so you you actually believe in community right oh yeah hundred percent okay so you believe down to my DNA community right so mutuality connection you believe in this notion that somehow together in the midst of our differences and diversity that if we can come together that we are stronger together than we are separate and that if we would unite that we can overcome any obstacle that might lie before us 
including oh, yeah. and through those connections and specifically to suicide prevention about building relationships and changing the culture and stigma around mental health and or asking for help and so we could move toward reducing and or ending suicide so people do and i heard you say a couple times that there's a pathway out of the darkness the more that you engage with this community the more you hear those empowered stories the more you hear stories like the thomases you hear that because of the resiliency of our our community a person can have an off day. We can't always carry the flag forward. Some days we have to stop and say, I'm out of breath. I'm a little tired. And somebody's standing right there next to us saying, you know what? I'm carrying it today. Um, when I was researching this, and so a piece I've got for uh, Sally Thomas to talk about, Solomon, um, during his presentation at the Gale event, um, he talked about what he learned. And so he talked about that, is he went through his own kind of mental health struggles in responding to his sister's suicide. And through that, you know, went through depression and fought those things and all that. And so just that conversation. And one of the things he really talked about was, you know, embracing his own vulnerability, you know, so he's an NFL player, you know, Mr. Tough guy, you know, six three, two eighty five, super built and strong and handsome and all that kind of stuff. But yet here he is. And so the stigma of a family member lost to suicide and then dealing with that and then his own struggles with mental health as he survived all that pieces. And he talked about embracing that vulnerability. And then as he was looking, he, he finally figured out there is no going back to who Sally Thomas was before this event. And what he then decided, you know, then what he had to do was he had to embrace what happened, learn to integrate it into his life. And then it was like the, you know, reconstruction of who Solomon Thomas was, you know, after his sister's death and then who that would be and how he could do that in a way that was hopeful and life-giving and powerful and, again, turn tragedy into purpose. And so, but I think his, his road about vulnerability, and so he, that's what one of the things that, um, well, people, if they've watched the show, they've already heard that, but we'll be talking with him about here in just a few minutes. So, well, let me do this then. Um, Andrew, just if you can, so we've talked a little bit. So one of the strong messages that I got is that, and you've got hope on your shirt and you've got hope on your background. So we're just going to go with hope is an act of defiance. Consistent hope, you know, where we are willing to stand up, even in the darkness, even when you feel alone, and if you can find that sense of hope, that is an act of defiance. And storytelling in and of itself is an act of defiance, listening to and then telling and sharing those kind of stories so that we can reach out, build connections and have this sense of commonality that, you know, and this is one of the things about breaking down the wall of isolation, it feels like, is that we feel like our life is so unique and so different. But in reality, so many people feel and share this exact same pain and they're unique to you, but yet the pain is there, the sense of aloneness, those kind of things. And so if we can share those stories and just reach out and connect, you know, so much if I just know that you're sharing the same stuff and we can walk this together, we don't have to be perfect. I can have my bad days. I can have my off days. I can trip and fall, but there's going to be somebody there to help me and I can get back up. And one of the taglines on our sports stuff, right? So I do mental prep work and Emma does mobility is that small steps all taken in the same direction over time can lead to amazing results. No matter how small the steps are, as long as you keep walking it together and keep taking those steps. So if we could, let's move to kind of the action piece. Is there anything you would want to tell people about how can they, 
either help in the world of, you know, responding to suicide, preventing suicide and or how could they support the organization? So just some action things that people can do if they want to, I don't know, donate money and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would encourage people. So one, I love that this idea is small steps taken, uh, taken in turn, allow us to move forward. The the way that you approach that is uh, incredible. Um, if folks would like to learn more about the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention's programs and, and especially local programs, uh, I would encourage them to look up www.afsp, like American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, uh, .org. It will pull you up with one of your local chapters. So uh, I, if you're, if you're in the Greater Bay Area, repping the Niners with me, uh, you'll get to chat with me. Uh, I have an incredible network of colleagues across the continental U.S. and Alaska and Hawaii. Uh, if, if wherever you are, start there, and that will help you connect, whether you are looking to get connected to an out-of-the-darkness walk or out-of-the-darkness experience, uh, if you're looking to get connected with the overnight, if you are a survivor of suicide loss, there are resources available to you. Start there. If you are, um, if you have the capacity and, and the interest in donating, there will be resources there that are, are available to you as well. Um, it is a, a a a number of resources are available at afsp.org. Don't worry about your qualifications. Right. Sign up for the training and learn more. And then, because you never Sign know, because you might learn how to identify something or you might see somebody or have a conversation with somebody and go, hmm, maybe they need a cup of coffee and a chat. So, you know, there's just those little identifiers, uh, which would, that was what was Martha's big stressing point was uh, warning signs, you know, how to see things a little bit more. Just if you just know it changes your perception and you might see things that you otherwise might go right over. And so that, that was one of her big things is this like, don't be afraid to reach out. And if you're in pain, don't, don't be afraid to ask for help. So, and so all the stuff that you're going to give us, um, we will have on the show notes. And so we'll have links for donations and for more resources and for trainings and all that kind of stuff. We will add all those kind of pieces. So um, any closing pieces, Andrew, that you want to, if we haven't talked about or any last pieces of hope, because you have been an extremely, you're building hope. I feel like the, the new foundations going up. We're taking the bricks and instead of a wall, we're building a foundation. <laughs> and we're building a new new society. Okay, so we're going to stand on that foundation. It. Okay. So yeah. any, anything else, yeah. any final words or something that we didn't cover that you for sure want people to know about? Uh, final words would be, uh, I'm, I'm proud to be standing on this foundation with you two. I am proud to be standing on that foundation with every single person who is concerned uh, for themselves, for someone else. And uh, again, ask the question, be the person that has the, um, be the person that knows the warning signs, look up AFSP.org as they noted, um, information will be available. We are all the champions. We are all the uh, advocates and we are all already the allies. By coming together, we simply become stronger in that. In our togetherness, we are stronger. So I am so deeply appreciative of you two taking time out of your day to, to chat with me and share that hope and share that excitement and build this new foundation together. All right. Well, 
we thank you very, very much, and uh, we believe in community, and that uh, it's it's kind of up to us. We're the ones that got to make the difference and the change. So, thank you very much for being with us. Am anything else? No, thank you so much for everything that you do, and for being such an ally for the Thomases because they are very special in our lives, and we know that this organization has been very helpful to them. Thank you both for for helping share these stories and and share this knowledge. It, it's an honor and a pleasure to be a part of the Hidden Pearls podcast. There you go. And you're one of our pearls, man. So thank, thanks. All right. You take care. We'll see you later. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Welcome, Martha and Chris Thomas. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Martha and Chris are good friends of ours, as is their son, Solomon. Um, and he was drafted in 2017 along with George, and they have been teammates with the Niners ever since. While we have some great, hilarious, fabulous travel Niner stories to share, uh, they are with us today after graciously agreeing to tell their story as a part of our charity focus this week on mental health and suicide prevention. So I'm going to introduce Martha. My girl. Uh, Martha Thomas is an educator and advocate for mental health awareness and suicide prevention. She is the co-founder and managing partner for the nonprofit foundation, The Defensive Line, TDL. Known for her creative lessons, excellent planning initiative, and communication skills, Martha is able to continually manage and motivate teams of people. She has earned recognition and numerous awards, including Teacher of the Year and AFSP Supervisor Survivors Award. She holds a Bachelor Degree of Arts in History from the College of Worcester and is hilarious and salt of the earth type of person. Woo, woo, woo. So, Worcester, okay. Uh, Chris Thomas, currently consulting with several mental health organizations, including the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, AFSP, which is our charity focus this week, Touched by Suicide, TBS, and the Holmes Murphy's Mental Health brand. And I hope I have get this right. Joyagers? Is that close? Georgia's. Georgia's. Okay. Uh, part of these activities, he spent 30 plus years holding domestic and international general management responsibilities in the consumer products industries. This included companies like Procter and Gamble, Frito Lay, and Alberto Culver. One of Chris's core strengths is his ability to manage and motivate teams and people. He has earned recognition and numerous awards, including Salesperson of the Year, Supplier of the Year. He holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in History, English, and Pre Law from the College of Worcester. A couple Worcester. Is that where you guys met? <laughs> Absolutely. It's got to be a great story ah. there. Yes. Right. Yeah, Martha was wearing a kilt. Right. <laughs> Do you say Martha was wearing a kilt? Yeah, she was in the band. <laughs> oh. If right. you guys want to, I mean, we're going to be flashing up some fashion photos of George and Solomon. If you want to throw that over to me, I will yeah. gladly put that on the YouTube. <laughs> Showing them legs. All right. Um, Martha and Chris, married now for 35 is this is that still right okay so when's the anniversary right. 36 is coming up soon all right yes all right uh currently live in Coppell, texas their daughter ella attended the university of arkansas and in 2018 the thomases lost ella to suicide their son solomon attended sanford university and is now an nfl player with the san francisco 49ers which most folks listening to this will know that and uh, he and george play together so thank you again very grateful for you guys to be with us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank Um, you for having us. So sad that we missed you, Martha, but you were just in California with Sally after his surgery. Um, And now you're back in Texas, right? So how, how's he doing? He's in a lot of pain, um, but he's a warrior and he's doing well. Uh, Was a big surgery and um, yeah, he's, his, 
it's amazing how to recover. I think the hardest thing for him is not moving right now. Like, you know, he's in that motion machine and he's, he's pretty much uh, uh, will be on crutches for six weeks. So it's a long recovery, but uh, he's got the right mentality for it. So it's exciting. He'll be back. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I talked to him yesterday. And so he was great, at least with me. So I don't know if he's putting on, but he said he was feeling much better than those first couple of days. And so, oh, those were rough. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah <laughs> and, and they are. So, but anyway, he sounded much better. And so it was great to talk to him because I had not since anything had happened and all that stuff. So yeah. it was sounded, sounded in pretty good spirits. So. Yeah, And then, um, Chris, now you, so Martha's in Texas back at the homestead. And then Chris, you're in California at Sally's place, kind of holding down the yes, floor. I, I am house sitting. I'm actually out here with his dog, Mickey, or actually Martha's dog, our emotional support dog, Mickey. Yeah. So you may hear him in the background, but I'm trying to get this house ready for when he comes back from LA, everything's set up. He's putting in some, um, you know, post, uh, operative, um, equipment like a sauna and things like that to make sure you can you know get back into shape and be ready to play next year so uh plus uh it's a great place to be out this time of year out in california and i get to watch the games at least in the same state uh when the niners play the dolphins later yeah no that's that's true there's a little perk about being on the california networks for that so it feels a little bit more like home so yeah yeah, there's and there is a lot to getting a house set up for somebody that's you know going to be on crutches and doing that trying to make it more accessible and all those kind of things so and you'll hear we've got two service animals running around here (laughs) they're they're certified to fly on planes i don't know exactly what that makes them but anyway they're emotional support dogs they are they emotionally support me all the time because I'm always with at least three women. That's kind of my life. I'm very blessed. So anyway. Yeah, it's kind of funny when we take Mickey on the plane because he's a boxer pit mix. Right. He's that. about 70 pounds, and people look a little uh, concerned at first, but right. he's just very calm, and he does support Martha and I during our flight. Right. Yeah, no, it's uh, no, they are excellent on that. So, well, again, thank you very much for being here with us. And so uh, this week's focus is uh, mental health and suicide prevention. Our charity focus this week is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, uh, which I know you guys are familiar with because you guys referred us to them, and based on your relationship with them is why they're there. Um, Their mission statement is they are dedicated to saving lives and bringing hope to those affected by suicide. So we've kind of already made reference to it, but um, you guys entered this world as family members of Ella uh, back in January of 2018. And we're very grateful that you're willing to come on the podcast with us today. And so um, really just want to ask you, you know, if you could share with us, you know, what you guys went through and tell us that story. Go ahead, Chris. Well, uh, you uh, are correct. Unfortunately, Martha and I, on January 23rd um, of 2018, uh, we lost Ella to suicide. Um, Ella was 24 years of age. Uh, She was a vibrant, lovely uh, young lady. Um, she was a great athlete. She was a great friend. Uh, wherever she uh, went, she lit, lit up the room. She was always giving her time and her energy to help others. Unfortunately, she didn't leave enough time to help let her help herself and to take time for self-care. And um, uh, she ended up burning bo- uh, both ends of the candle. And uh, she was a very gracious and loving friend. Uh, she was a great big sister to Solomon. Um, he won't like me saying this, but she had a better three-point shot than he did. Uh, but <laughs> she was just an amazing young lady. Um, 
Unfortunately, while Ella was at the University of Arkansas, she was sexually assaulted. She was gang raped at a um, <clears throat> fraternity house. And um, uh, that really uh, uh, took a lot, about, a, lot, a lot of out of Ella. And um, we didn't know a, a great amount of pain that she was going through. Um, w- one of the things we did prior to uh, a game a couple of years ago, we did an ESPN story with uh, Michelle Beisner Buck. And uh, one of the hardest things as a father I had to share was not being there to help her during that time. And not realizing that that was contributing to um, her mental exhaustion, her anxiety, her disorders. And unfortunately, uh, she did take her life uh, on January 23rd. Uh, Unfortunately, I was on a business trip in New York and had to fly back. Martha uh, had to tell me the news and uh, and I flew back. um, And um, thank goodness Solomon was there training during during the season to to be there for Martha. Um, and we had a lot of great friends from Capel, uh, as well as at our church to help until I got home. But, uh, um, it's, it's a, it's a club, uh, or, um, a membership nobody wants to be a part of. Uh, and I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Um, and, uh, so, um, yeah, that was a, a dark day, but out of that, you know, we're trying to turn tragedy into purpose and to help others understand the things to look for as relates to uh, mental health and suicide. And we're, we're fortunate to be able to use Solomon's platform, uh, being an NFL player and being part of a great organization like the Niners who have a lot of empathy and compassion for mental health, as well as just, uh, just a, a loving organization and, trying to spread the word of making sure people understand the importance of uh, having a strong mental health. Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Martha, do you want to add some pieces or just like how, how things went from where you were at or. Um, Ella had, you know, moved home. I uh, had been home for a few months uh, by the time that uh, she died. And it was, uh, it was a very strange time. Uh, she wasn't well. And as the, she died on a Tuesday, you know, she was supposed to be seeing her therapist on Thursday. Um, uh, they, the in, detectives told us that Ella's suicide was aggravated and impulsive. So we never heard her talking about ending her life. We never heard her talking uh, about hurting herself, Um, but she definitely struggled with depression and anxiety, um, probably PTSD and who knows what all else. I mean, she was getting help, but clearly not enough help. And no matter what, you know, we've come to this after two and a half years is no matter what, we would have or could have done, we may or may not have ever prevented it. It wasn't just one single cause that sent her over the edge. Uh, There were multiples, multiple of causes. And so when people um, who are dealing with uh, losing someone think that they could have stopped it by doing one thing, they mm, probably couldn't have, you know, so, going, learning through, going through that and 
kind of seeing this and learning so from so many resources, um, AFSP, Mental Health America, Jed Foundation, all sorts of uh, resources out there that 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 it, that's helped relieve us of some of the guilt that we initially had. Yeah, because we talked about that when we first talked is the the family members and that sense of feeling like, gosh, I should have been, I should have seen something. I should have been able to do something. I should have, you know, whatever. And then, so then you, you couple and add on to the pain of losing someone that you really love with some sense of guilt, you know, about, you know, it's, it's partly my fault because I didn't see what was coming. So, um, very kind of complicated, tangled issues. So, um, well, and I just, and I know you kind of touched on what you learned and knew about her mental health status. And I know Martha, you were talking about just kind of some key things to, you know, to look for and or to observe and that kind of thing. And so, and, and you can kind of go whatever the next step is. And I do encourage you to do that. So I was just kind of curious about that piece and, you know, any other things that you've learned as it relates to those components? Um, Well, uh, AFSP put, has a graphic that they put out suicide warning signs. And I saw that after Ella died, Um, you know, she was feeling trapped. She uh, felt like she was a burden to others. That was something that I remember when she said going, what? Like, you know, like I remember her saying that Um, depression, irritability, uh, anxiety. She would get very angry um, loss of interest in things, um, sleeping too much, um, withdrawing from friends and activities. So, Mm. (laughs) you know, but not all of those did we see. And some of those are things other people told us about, uh, after the fact. So you always get all the information afterwards. Um, so, it's one of the things we really want to do is help people to learn to talk to each other um, and to be honest with their feelings and honest with their listening as well. Not sitting and listening and judging someone sitting and listening and really going, wow, this is what this person is saying rather than, well, I don't think they're right. You know, being, being totally honest and accepting of what they're saying. Right. Which is, I mean, that's one reason people don't say anything is because they feel like they're going to get judged or made fun of or whatever. And just in the way in which our culture treats just mental health alone. So facing depression and anxiety alone can be very stigmatizing. Um, and so it gets even more difficult. You know, and I was saying too about the family thing, you know, we live with our family members so closely that, you know, in the end we could look back and say, well, they really were withdrawing, you know, but it's so incremental sometimes when it's with us, you know what I mean? Like maybe they're just having a bad day. So we, you know, you kind of, it just like it folds into what your reality is and it doesn't seem like it's so out of context sometimes, but then when you step away from it and look back, you're like, Oh, you know, then you can kind of see some of those things. Right. Right. Well, um, let me, uh, Martha, I found this quote and I mentioned it to you just about kind of the grief process. And I just thought this was kind of powerful and you don't have to say too much about it, but I thought, um, you can kind of wallow in your own pain, which we've done plenty of, or try to just help others deal with it. It's been very powerful to be involved in organizations that other people can kind of get it. You can't run away from grief. It's going to get you one way or another. 
it finds its own way to get you. And you don't really ever quite know when it's going to get you. <laughs> so it's, it's, it, it's all, which is very similar to kind of I've heard in other work that I've done and been around folks. So um, it's almost like it's a living, breathing entity and it's like stalking you almost. But can you say a little bit more about kind of that grief process for you guys and, and what eventually kind of helped? Um, for me, um, it's, I've, I've almost, uh, accepted, I wouldn't say grief stalks me. I would say grief is almost, um, lives, it just with, lives with me. Um, but there are days that you think you're going along fine and there's something will happen and you will be brought right back to your knees. And it doesn't stop. Like, you know, two and a half years later, it doesn't stop. Um, so learning how to handle it, how to um, deal with it, with it in different ways. Um, one of the things that I do now is I meditate every day and I will have days when I meditate where I start sobbing. Um, and it, it's a release. It's necessary. Um, and it also, it's just, it's hard to explain. <laughs> um, but it's not, uh, it's not something that I'm afraid of anymore, I guess. Yeah. It's, you just get, you, you get used to it and you got to find a way to, to go on with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing is you just, to Martha's point, you just need to understand that it's going to hit you at some point in time. The other day I was walking Mickey near Solomon's house and there's a school ground. And uh, I came across this little girl who looked just like Ella when she was five years old, her hair in a bun, and it just crippled me. I just had to sit on the park bench and I just was sobbing like a little baby. Uh, but you realize that it's okay to just have that release. It's okay to, to not be okay and to to grieve and uh, to also rely upon others. So uh, one of the things Martha has taught me throughout this process is to, you know, each day uh, be grateful for four or five things and just list those things out. And, and that, that active, uh, you know, exercise helps me understand that despite the fact that I'm grieving, I've lost our daughter, we've lost our daughter. There are still other things that I'm grateful for. Uh, I'm grateful for the fact that we had her for 24 years. She was born nine weeks premature. The doctor didn't think she'd live you know, past six months. So, you know, so each day being grateful for something and then also relying upon some of the great support networks we have, whether it's a church or through like some uh, mental health and suicide prevention um, uh, support groups that help us that we can call on and we can just either text or call and just say, hey, I'm having a bad day. And I'm always reminded of a Jimmy Valvon, um, a, uh, the Jimmy Valvana quote about laughing, crying, and learning something new each day. You do that, you have a great day. And yep. so there, each day I probably have laugh, I cry, and I try to learn something new, and, 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 and it helps me have a good day. Yeah. Well, the, um, you know, this whole notion about getting help, you know, and it, it's, um, you know, I was looking through some of those statistics, and it, at least from what you guys said, I was looking through that last night, um, you know, the, the male rate of suicide higher than women and all that. And I don't know exactly, you know, about that. I do know, you know, like our era, Chris, and, and I'm older than you, I think. But anyway, um, you know, I kind of grew up with the John Wayne modality of masculinity, yeah. right? So super tough, 
broken leg, whatever, you never ask for help. And, you know, you swing mm-hmm. first and ask questions later and everything was a fight yeah. to be won. You know, and it's, you know, in the reality, it was, it made it for a good movie, but it makes for a really shitty culture, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, because you, you have, you know, all these, you know, male testosterone field e- egos, um, which at times are really frail and get hurt and they do get into trouble and then they turn to other resources, which often aren't very healthy to try to mask it or cover it up or get relief. Uh, and, you know, we're not trained very well to, to ask for help, to talk to our neighbor or get a counselor and that kind of stuff. And so overcoming all those things and trying to, trying to find some help with that. So, well, okay. Appreciate that very much. I'm just rolling. Did you- I'm just listening. Okay. Are- <laughs> um, There's one, I did want to, uh, just on that, I guess there's one I wanted to, this was from um, Solly when he, he gave that, uh, his, his, oh, there you go, Emma's always correct. I, I, I kind of <laughs> wandered from the mic and then it doesn't show up. When, um, with the AFSP folks, the survivors of loss of war, but one thing he said about that was to be strong means to be vulnerable, willing to be uncomfortable, to grow into the hardest times of your life and be confident in your emotions. And then he went on, this is the biggest honor I've ever received and I love you all. And just, you know, if you read, his remarks from that night, just about how painful that journey was for him as well. But, you know, just totally like rediscovered himself is the way it's, you know, I don't mean totally, but I mean, he's still who he was, but yet it's completely different in a way. And I think he sees the world in a different way too. And, but the ability to be in that vulnerable state to kind of embrace his own pain and grief, and then to give yourself permission to grieve, which I think is really difficult. And I think society wide right now, you know, we're in a situation because of COVID we have a lot of grief that has been ungrieved, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all bottled up and it's going to be difficult for folks. But I thought that was really good in his comments about learning to be vulnerable, learning to accept help and doing those kind of pieces. So, okay, let's see. All right. Well, anything else on all that? Cause we just tossed a whole bunch out there. I don't want to cut you guys off in any way. Martha, did you have something else you want to add or. I, I just wanted to say one of the, one powerful thing we've done is go to a support group. Um, and, anyone can go that's lost someone to suicide. So what's been really helpful to us is being around other people that have lost someone. Um, So, uh, you know, friends can go, uh, siblings can go. And it, it's really helped us to understand that this grief isn't just about us. So it's certainly we feel incredible grief, uh, Chris and I, but Solomon has incredible grief. Her friends have grief. Uh, her, you know, the rest of my family, our families have grief. Um, and people who didn't know her have actually grieved for her, you know? So it's um, it, it's a lot more than us. I know we just t- kind of talked about us a lot, but it's, um, it's really powerful to see that. Yeah, and the other thing, Bruce, I'd like to share, um, you talked about this whole masculinity piece and, you know, trying to hold it in, being tough and, you know, trying to be vulnerable, being open. And I think that's so important. Um, and that's one thing I'm proud about Solomon um, is that in the NFL, that, that, that feeling has got to be double because you're in this masculine, you know, sort of, yeah. uh, you know, caveman um, um, uh, environment and you're not supposed to show vulnerability because it connotes weakness, uh, and then uh, for me, as a, you know, as, you have that as a male, for Solomon, it's a male as well as an athlete, and for me, it's being a male, an African American male, at that, 
uh, and you know, because there's even within the African American culture uh, this taboo that you don't talk about mental health and that you pray it away and that you know you're crazy if you talk about being uh, being mentally uh, challenged or having difficulties. And it's important to open up and 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 not go down that path and to hold all that in. It creates this tremendous amount of toxicity, and it doesn't allow you to grow, and it doesn't allow you to, you know, get out of your comfort zone. It doesn't allow you to expand. It doesn't allow you to heal. And so, I think it's really important, like Martha mentioned, is to talk about it, uh, to go to therapy groups, to go to support groups. And one of the things that you know, you know, Martha and I did collectively, individually, you know, went to therapy. And for some people, that's taboo, but for me, it was life saving to be able to talk about that on a regular basis. Uh, individually, as well as as a family, as well as as a couple, to help you know get through that that pain and that grief. Right. Yeah, Chris, I appreciate you bringing that up. And so, the the role of mental health within the African American community is kind of a unique situation as well, and it really seems to have kind of a disparate impact within that community. And then at times, it's often coupled with um, kind of an, an inadequate or lack of accessibility to health care. And both, like you said, kind of an internal side that I'm not going to do that. And so that barrier is even more strongly, but then sometimes it's just not available either. So are there there other issues related to that community that you think are important, at least for us to mention here? As far as the African-American community and mental health? The the other part about Africa, and this is one reason why I think COVID's hit African-American community more than others, is the fact that uh, the lack of access and the lack of insurance has, has really right. impacted the ability. First of all, insurance for mental health is not uh, as strong as it needs to be. And one of the things when we get to the end of this program uh, as a call to action, one of the things I'm going to share about is, you know, connecting with your local, you know, politician to make sure that mental health has the same benefits as physical health. I mean, you don't, you, we shouldn't limit the amount of time you, you go to a therapist to get your mind right. Your brain is an organ, just like your heart. You don't limit the number of times you go and see your heart doctor or your your general practitioner. Right. But right now, a lot of insurance companies have limits on how many times you can go see a therapist. So you, you got that overall then, you got the fact that a lot of African-Americans don't have uh, insurance or have adequate insurance, and they're not able to get the help they need. So that just exacerbates the, the entire problem. And then, you know, finding a way to open up to, you know, churches, the schools, to under, help them educate them on the fact that mental health is as important as physical health and that we need to talk about it and we need to understand the warning signs, need to understand the resources available so that we can treat our whole body, not just, you know, one element of it. Yeah. Well, um, what do you do this? Very holistic. Um, And another way uh, we've seen you guys do is through your walk. Um, So Mm. the first out of darkness walk was uh, June 2nd, 2018. Um, and that's now an ongoing event with the family. Obviously, things were a little different uh, COVID this year. Um, can you just talk about the walk and how that's kind of helped you guys and what you guys do? Yes. Yeah, so the first year, um, one of Ella's friends, uh, Landis, asked us if we wanted to do the walk. And I had finally said, Landis, no, it's too soon. And he said, well, I'm going to keep asking you. I'm going to keep asking you. And my niece, Ray, as well, said, you know, I'm going to do the walk in Philly, but if you do care, um, and I was like, no, go ahead. And then finally, Landis kept asking me, and I said, okay, I'm going to do the walk just a week before. Um, And then, you know, I told Chris and Solomon, and they, uh, Solomon, Chris uh, couldn't 
walk right then um, with his knees. But uh, Solomon said, okay, I'll do it with you, mom. I'll do it with you. And then we just kind of put out, I think, to some of her friends. And I don't know, we had, what, 15 people walk with us, Chris? And uh, some of the Niners came in. And um, it was it was amazing. Um, it was it was super powerful uh, to physically walk. Um, as I've said numerous times, that physical act of walking really helped to teach me how to live again, how to stop wallowing in my pain and work with my pain. Um, and that that act of doing that walk and walking a lot alongside of other people, you walk all night long. Um, and so uh, you wear beads uh, representing your loss or your struggles. And it can be a personal struggle. It can be a sibling, a, uh, a child. Um, and so people would come up and talk to you who shared a part of your story. And they may have been 10 years out. They may have been five years out. They may have been 20 or 30 years out for some people. And it was... Um, it just gave me hope that I could get through this. Yeah. And um, it was it was an amazing night. And you stop and you talk to people and you help people and they help you. And it's um, kind of everyone understanding each other a little bit more. I think uh, something that's, uh, I was reading, I mean, obviously uh, mental health or World Mental Health Day was just, I think it was yesterday, um, yeah. all over social yep. media. And uh, something that I was reading something about loss and, uh, they were talking about ceremonies and how just with our modern culture and, um, how everyone's kind of just like doing their own thing, like these cultural ceremonies, uh, have kind of been forgotten, whether that's like an initiation or a coming of age ceremony or something like this, like losing a loved one. Um, just the act of having ceremony and collectively coming together as a big community, it can be so powerful in, like you said, like recognizing this new entity of grief that's just going to be kind of with you and on your shoulder and maybe sometimes feels like a heavier backpack, but, you know, something you can work with. Um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, and then earlier, so... Oh, well, ahead. I just, I think finding a way to connect the commonality of your tragedy and experience with others, because I think one of the things about both mental health and suicide is that you, there's a sense of isolation and, mm -hmm. and, it, and it drives you because your grief goes there and it feels super, super personal. And it is. And yet, because the numbers, you know, that we know are out there, um, you know, like daily, the numbers, um, there's a lot of people out there that have shared that experience. And so when, when we can get together like that in a shared experience and have that chance to connect, it just, it's like, and like you said, you know, you met someone that maybe is 10 or 15 or 20 years out and they no doubt still feel that pain, but by connecting, it gives us that hope that, you know, there is a pathway through this tunnel, you know, and I'm not there mm -hmm. yet, but I, I know, and maybe I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel, right. but I know somebody else has walked it and I know somebody else can yeah. be there and it does give you some strength and some hope. And so there's a lot of power within being able to share that. So, so mm -hmm. very, very, okay. So again, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And then, uh, so earlier you quoted, Bruce shared a quote by Solomon, um, and that was from the American foundation for suicide prevention, their annual lifesavers gala. 
uh, early May of 2019, and Solomon and his parents were awarded uh, the Survivors of Loss Award, and it's given to those who have shared their stories in an effort to help others further or further prevention initiatives and create change. And I mean, it's so crazy because obviously in a different way, like that's what we're trying to do with George's platform here and his connection and to have this massive stage to share and where you have like so many eyes and ears on you. And um, it's been amazing how you guys have transferred that and used it to raise awareness for everything that you guys believe in. Um, Are there any other important dates or events that you guys want to highlight? Do you, do you guys want to say a little bit about that? Because I know that was a pretty big night. I know, Chris, I read some of your comments afterwards about just how proud you were of Solly and um, him being there and the transformation and being connected that way. And like, and, and you said it at the beginning, I think, turning tragedy into purpose, which I've heard you say that several times. So, you know, that seems like kind of a little, you know, that's a thing. And I, I, it makes a lot of sense and it's very powerful. So I don't know, is there anything more about it? Because our charity focus is AFSP this week. And so if you want to talk a little bit about them and just maybe the Lifesavers Gala or any part of that, that would be great. Yeah, I know that uh, the AFSP Gala uh, is going to happen next year in May. Uh, I don't have the exact date. It's, it's May 2021. It'll be virtual uh, for sure. We're hoping that's going to be uh, a little bit live. This year we weren't able to have it because of, uh, of the coronavirus, obviously. Uh, I want to get back to what dates in a second, but what, one of the things that, you know, after Martha and I did that walk, uh, during that time, I was still working in corporate America. And when we went, we went to this breakfast uh, because they had the top fundraising teams uh, attend a breakfast uh, the morning before the walk took place. Uh, and as Martha mentioned, I was having knee issues, so I couldn't do the entire walk, but I was able to attend the breakfast. And we were exposed to the top fundraising teams. I was just amazed of how suicide impacted so many walks of life, whether you're black or white, rich or poor. You know, I know that uh, Andy's going to talk more about suicide stats, but to think that someone dies by suicide every 11 minutes here in the U.S. is right. it's just uh, it's just crazy to think about that. It's the second leading cause of death amongst people 15 to 34. So when I was there, I realized that me working in corporate America. Uh, just that I felt like I was wasting my skills, my talents, my strengths. And it, it was at that stage, I sort of have an epiphany where I, I need to transition from working in corporate America to nonprofits. So that's when I worked, started working with AFSP. I became a part of their national board, worked with Touched by Suicide, which is a local support group for, for uh, suicide, prevent, uh, suicide survivors in Dallas and Denton County. Uh, and then also Mental Health America and Grant Halliburton, which is based in Dallas, as well as Georgia's. And I felt I feel so much more significance in life, knowing that I'm making a difference right. by sharing, you know, the, the importance of mental health and suicide prevention. Uh, and also, it's kind of therapeutic for me because I'm working with people who have experienced similar loss, whether that's a loved one, whether it's a friend, or or even someone they work with, because suicide impacts directly or indirectly like 52 percent of people in america so it's it's been a huge transition so i know that andy will talk some of the local things are happening within uh, northern california uh during his interview but the gala for the national gala for afsp is going to be uh may of 2021 i'll make sure i get you the exact date when you post uh for the for week six here's podcast uh but then within each local uh, uh community there's an AFSP chapter that has virtual walks. 
Uh, the one in Dallas and Fort Worth is happening at the end of this month uh, here in October. Uh, so I just encourage listeners to look up their local AFSP chapter to find out when their virtual walk is as well as when their fundraiser uh, will be. Yeah, and we'll, um, we'll have the AFSP because I was on there, and then there's a little tab where you can pull down for local chapters. And so it's super easy. Yeah. You can put in your zip code, and it tells you automatically, like, the closest place. So uh, that'll be part of our notes uh, for the show as well. So, okay. Uh, Martha, don't want to leave you hanging. You all right? I was just going to kind of – we've got a little list of some pieces um, just with some issues and those things. So we talked a little bit about mental health within the African-American community, if there's anything more there. Talked a little bit about lack of accessible mental health services. We talked a little bit about stigma of suicide and mental health on with families. And so, you know, I don't know if we covered that. Um, and then just how you might have seen COVID potentially impacting all this. So anything else in there as far as kind of causes and impact on families that we haven't addressed that you want to say a little bit more about? Um, I just think that COVID has just really brought a lot of things to the forefront that people maybe weren't expecting. Like, you know, maybe they've had to slow down a little bit and go, um, oh, wait, or a lack of hope, um, you know, or increased hopelessness, um, you know, and really, really kind of doubling down and working on your mental health just with like small practices, like a gratitude practice. learning something new is a huge way to kind of elevate yourself. Um, journaling, meditation, all things that, that are people can do that really kind of help you to digest your emotions. So, well, we are big proponents of mindfulness. So with our mindful awareness and performance <laughs> as part of uh, Thunderbird performance. So we're, and I think something I want to just go off of that is I feel like the thing that has really, because obviously like meditation and yoga are huge parts of who we are and have been for a long time. Um, but the thing that COVID like really brought up for me was like saying, like realizing how sensitive I really am. Cause like I can, like when I'm go out into the world and I'm like presenting myself to other people or what, like I can be that big energetic force. Like I can be defensive. I can be hard. I can be all those things, but being alone true (laughs) but being alone and like being on the backside of it and like having to like really get to know yourself and be with it it really made me realize like how sensitive and how I felt like kind of susceptible to these certain energies that I was feeling and a lot of that like whether that was feeling like putting words to like you know today I'm feeling a little depressed and today I cannot get out of my head or today I'm feeling really anxious about this and like I think something that we really try to do with Thunderbird Performance and even with this podcast is talk about like when you feel these certain things and obviously like we do it in context with athletes, but it's like when you feel stress, when you feel that pressure, like these are tools to use. Like it's not just feel better or think happy thoughts. It's like put pen to paper, go for a walk, get outside, meditate, like have these tools. And I think that can be really helpful in you know, just from your day-to-day life of like those kind of peaks and valleys that we all have, but making sure that the valleys don't go quite as deep as other times. Yeah. So there, there are resources there, but you got to tap into them and there are practices that can help, but you, you got to practice them. That's why they call it a practice. So we got to kind of give it a shot. So, okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well then, um, well then, to both of you then, just thinking about uh, some responses. So one, that's what you've really modeled that. And Chris, I really, admire you and really appreciate kind of that realignment that you went through and, 
it seems, you know, as we age, we evolve both with our values and our skill sets and our interests. And so some of those realignments happen, but obviously, you know, this whole thing kind of pushed you in a direction where just to find value in what you were doing every day and to feel like you were contributing, you had to realign, you know, what you're spending your days on. So really acknowledge you for making that change. So um, within that context, then just thinking about, you know, responding then. So how can people help? So, and there's, I gave a list of some, just some questions. You can go anywhere within those. So obviously we're trying to increase awareness about mental health issues, remove the stigma around it and, and help people get help. Um, Then you talked earlier about the mental health impact in African-American communities. I don't know if there are things you've thought about that people can do for that. How can we work harder and or do things to prevent suicide and or assist families involved? So just a couple of topics in there, you guys, anything that you want to tell people or recommend to folks, you know, in this context that would be kind of action steps? Surely. So uh, one thing I do want to go back, you mentioned about uh, some key dates and things. I don't have a specific date, but uh, at some point in time in uh, late November, early December, um, our nonprofit, the defensive line, should be launching uh, nationally, and you know, that nonprofit is a, an outgrowth of uh, the comment I made earlier about turning tragedy into purpose. And you know, our vision is to have a healthy world where young people uh, of color, students of color, athletes of color, uh, never die from suicide. And so, uh, as I mentioned before, Ella was a great athlete. Um, uh, you know, suicide amongst African Americans is skyrocketing. Uh, it's the third leading cause of death amongst Black males, 15 to 24. Uh, it is uh, Black boys, 10 to 14, or two to three times more likely to die by suicide. Uh, and then Black females, 13 to 19, their suicide rate between 2001 and 2017 is up 182%. So it's a huge issue. Part of it's driven by this whole pandemic. Part of it's driven being driven by the whole racial social injustice we're seeing uh, uh, living you know while black is a, is a significant you know mental health uh, drama that uh, goes through I mean I can't tell you the number of stories of, of the Ellen Solomon went through uh, of living while black and just some of the racism and discrimination they went through um, so we're hoping that our nonprofit the defensive line helps people not die by suicide but also gives them tools to deal with life racial strife um, and help them to uh, survive and thrive and to learn new coping mechanisms uh, to have a productive and energetic and inspiring life. So uh, we'll have more about that. um, Hopefully by the time the Niners and the Cowboys play uh, in Dallas. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be good. And so we do have, um, I think Eric Armstead scheduled to be on too because he's got some foundation work that he's interested in. And so we've got Eric, and so I know he'll be a part of the D-line piece as well. So we'll make sure that That's great. we can revisit that when you guys are up and running and help people and share that story a little bit. So, Martha, anything on your end about any encouragements or suggestions for people about, you know, what, what they can do? Um, just, uh, again, don't be afraid to reach out for help. I... It's kind of silly, but the AFSP National has a really great Instagram. Um, You know, surround yourself with people that are going to help you. Um, Unfollow. If you're on social media, unfollow all the negative stuff. Like, just get it out of your head. Um, And, you know, just keep loving. (laughs) Keep loving. Love more and be kind. Yeah, yeah. No, that's. I think the Instagram rule for me finally got to, and like, 
I kind of go in waves. So sometimes I'm kind of in and, you know, she's in because, you know, we're doing the podcast and all that. But I've kind of, but like if it's not life-giving, it gives me energy. So like I mostly have all like oceans and mountains and scuba diving because that's what I love. And, you know, it's like, you know, I see a bunch of whales and sharks and stuff all the time. And it kind of, you know, that makes me feel good. And so, you know, I just, I kind of gotten rid of everything. And, you know, and I, I can't wait for the election to get over. For a, yeah. whole, for a whole bunch of reasons, but you know, one of them is just you know, hopefully we're moving toward a kinder, gentler nation and people that yeah, we love each other. So we're certainly encouraging about that. So another plug: if you haven't voted, make sure you register. If it's not too late, yep. get out there and go vote and take somebody yeah, with you because every vote counts, every voter counts. So let's make sure of that. So absolutely. Um, okay. Anything else you guys want to? I don't want to feel like you know we've shorted you or anything or anything you want to add on. If I could just end with. Um, Something I always like doing when I was running business teams, and I always started sharing at the end of each meeting or key strategy session, what, what are we going to start, what are we going to stop, and what are we going to continue to do moving forward? So as it relates to mental health and suicide prevention, one of the things I like people to start thinking about is silencing the shame, talking about the importance of mental health, being holistic, uh, educating, providing awareness. Uh, I like people to start looking at their local and national politicians to help increase funding for mental health, uh, funding also mental health parity, and more importantly, making sure that our high schools and grade schools start talking about the importance of mental health so that students can understand uh, that it's okay to not be okay and to talk about mental health. So that's a start. Stop. I like people to stop the racism and the sexism and just the, the, the whole piece of, you know, disrespecting people who are different right. than ourselves, whether it's sexual orientation, because uh, that's having a significant impact on, on mental health uh, development, but also stop, you know, the stigma uh, that it's okay to talk about mental health and we need to have look at mental health and physical health as one. And the other piece is to stop disrespecting our veterans. Uh, I mean, right now, they're one and a half times more likely to die by suicide than the general population. Uh, and there are 40,000 people each night, each veterans each night, sleeping uh, homeless. So we got to find a way to protect them. And then continue having these kind of conversations. Martha and I and Solomon are so happy that you've invited us to talk about this, but we need more people to talk about this. So it's, it's a part of the mainstream in that we're having dialogue about compassion, empathy, love. We need more organizations like the Niners to put the money where the mouth is mm-hmm. and try to stop things like racism, but also to invest in mental health and suicide prevention. So we need to continue that love, that compassion uh, to make sure that we have a better tomorrow. Okay. Well, very good. And, you know, you guys – you know, and you just, Martha, you kind of really made me think about this. Um, you talked about, you know, getting together in the support groups, and it's kind of, there's a wider circle than sometimes the immediate family might think about. But, you know, and our family was not in any way impacted in the same way, so I'm not trying to compare that. But I just know that we had gotten to know you guys that year beforehand, right? And we'd gone to some games and been together and really, like you know, really enjoyed your company. And we met Ella and... And then, you know, in January, then when that comes out, and honestly, you know, I don't want to say like it took us to our knees, but in a way, you know, because, you know, we had two kids, older daughter, you know, and it just like super resonated, you know, and I thought about, and it made me flash through all the things in her life that she's gone through, and that it really made me like, 
okay, what am I seeing? What am I not seeing? You know, and that, and just the gratitude for, you know, just really pulled me. And then, and then I just, you know, sharing with you guys, it was really like, I didn't know exactly what to do with you. Do you, you know what I mean? Because, and that was kind of the off season and there was a stage in there. And then, you know, we kind of got in, a, you know, we had six, seven months and then the season started again and all that. And then we saw you in, you know, sorry stuff, but it's, it's still like the world of reentering that and saying, Hey, Martha, we love you guys. And I'm so sorry. You know, it's just like, it's not like you just don't do it standing on the side of the football field before the game kicks off. You know what I mean? It just, and I just, I'm sharing that with you just cause I'm like kind of reflecting on. But, you but know. what was beautiful, Bruce, is that none of you were afraid of us. Yeah. You weren't so many people were afraid to talk to us and even though you may not have known what to say, you knew we needed love. And that's what your entire family has done for us. Yeah. And that's why we're here with you, because we know how much you love us and that you've always been there for us. Um, and, you know, Jan has become so close with me and it thank you. Wow. And we love you very much. Wow. Well, we love you guys too. So, well, thank you so much. It's really powerful. And uh, again, we're just going to keep working on tragedy to purpose. And, uh, you know, one of the sayings that, you know, working with George this summer, one of our key components was small steps all taken in the same direction, you know, lead mm -hmm. to amazing results. And so, and I love the start and stop list, Chris. And so maybe you should throw that to us and we'll kind of add that. And the Absolutely. thing is, you know, we don't have to change the world overnight. And we don't have to change the entire world. We just need to work within the small sphere of influence that we have and do the pieces that we can do. And so, and loving kindness is certainly something that each one of us can do each day. So hopefully we'll keep, we'll keep working on that. So thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. And so this will, we'll post next on Saturday before the game. So thank you so very much. We're really excited about having Solly on. So that'll be great. And uh, we're looking forward to it. So, all right. Thank you. Em, thank anything you else? Thank you so much. I miss nope. you guys. All right. Awesome. Okay. Great you guys job, take guys. care. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Go Niners. Bye. Go I love Niners. you. Okay. Bye-bye. Love you guys. Okay. All right, Hidden Pearl podcast people. There's a lot of hugging after shows uh. lately. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I hope we can spread that message, turning tragedy to purpose and being kinder to people. So it's just all this BS stuff that we put in the way between color of somebody's skin or their religious beliefs or who they tend to love, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's just not very important. And, and well, something uh, Martha said right, like right before we started was um, what we were talking about her bio and she said, if you say one thing about me, so sorry, I didn't put this in earlier, Martha, but it's uh, that she is a fierce defender of her family. Yeah. And like I resonate hard with that because I have some very strong mom and papa bear um, always doing that for me. But um, I think it's like, in I just don't know how to emphasize this enough, but like you have to be fiercely protecting yourself, like fiercely protecting your energy, fiercely protecting the things that you see on social media, fiercely protecting the way that you talk to people, the way that you allow other people to talk to you. And I think once, like, I feel like something that is so cool about Hidden Pearl's podcast is like, like our family practices that so much that I think that we've gotten, you know, to a point where we can start to do that for other people. 
and share that message. And so I think if you feel, you know, like how Martha and Chris were talking about, like Ella was burning things at both ends, like take care of yourself first. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to be shame. Like you can't feel shameful about taking care of yourself and honoring yourself. But once you feel like you have your feet in place, once you feel like you have your legs underneath you, you have to fiercely protect the other people who can't protect themselves. And I think that, you know, I always think of this saying like, um, I had this yoga teacher one time tell me that like you have to really protect like the gentler things in life because they're going to be the things that get that taken away or that leave the quickest. So whether it's like a softer energy or, you know, it can be like a person or something, but like just stand up for people and use your voice and use your platform and make sure to tell people how much you love them. Because I, I just remember meeting Ella like, one time, like there was one time where like we really sat down and like actually had a conversation and I was like, thank God there's going to be somebody else here who's like a little bit like three years older than her brother who's like, like going to go through this all with us. And then, you know, and she was gone. Like you have no idea what people are going through. So. Right. So part of having certain privileges in life is the responsibility to protect those people and things that can't protect themselves. So thank you very much for joining us and uh, being We're going to take a little break and then uh, <laughs> hit the mindful minute. So yep. um, thank you, everyone. All righty. All right, everyone, thank you for sticking around. I know those were some long interviews, but uh, things we are very passionate about and stories that needed to be shared. So with that, we're going to roll right into the Mindful Minute, and we are on stage five of the eight stages of the Mindful Athlete. And this one is Compassionate Heart. Love this one. Mindfulness is certainly about the mind, but it does not end there. The point of mindfulness, ultimately, is to learn more about yourself to increase wisdom, and to understand and control the ego. Mindfulness, mindfulness reveals to us how we feel and think, which, once understood, will impact how we act in the world. What we feel, think, say, and do. Compassionate heart is the state of living our lives in alignment with our values. It is seeing and understanding the bigger picture, the interconnectedness of all things, and how we fit. It is a state of knowing and living out our purpose. Mindfulness leads us into caring for the world and those in it, and then doing what we can to make the world a better and more compassionate place for all. So as you know through the steps, so this is number five. So we start with the conscious awareness and then controlled breath, the calm mind, and then the connected body. And when we do all that, it leads to this alignment within our values, the wisdom, the controlling of the ego and such, so that we actually live this thing out into the world and we take it out. So that's the Mindful Minute. And your action step today is one very aligned with young Miss Emma. So go ahead. Our action step is to try yoga. The connection we seek with the body through mind and breath don't just happen. They must be practiced and experienced through repetition so the body is conditioned to respond to the commands of the calm mind and controlled breath. 
In that awareness, we develop the skills to tap into the body in stressful and high-stakes situations. Yoga is the practice that helps develop this by taking your mindfulness and meditation practice into movement. This week, week, try moving meditations to practice your connection to the body. So uh, I get a lot of questions from everybody on Instagram, on all of our platforms, about trying some yoga. Um, If you go to thunderbirdperformance.com and you click on practice, uh, it's under... If you scroll down, you'll see it. Um, but we have three free classes. They're also linked in our Instagram, on the Hidden Pearls podcast Instagram. If you go to the link tree, it says free yoga, and you can click on it, and all three practices are right there. So that's a great place to do it. But um, it's really important that as you build this foundation of intentionality and the life and the vision and everything that you want to embody, you have to like put it into your body. Like It can't just be the this like... Esteric, like etherical, what is the word? What am I doing this? Esoteric? Sure. Esoteric thing like floating around you. It can't just be this idea or thought in your head. Like the most concrete thing we can do. Like that's why people say to write, to actually put pen to paper or, you know, in, in this stance, we're encouraging you guys to actually use some movement and some meditation, but embody the changes that you want to make. And I think especially, especially on step five as compassionate heart, like you guys, this entire episode is about suicide. And I think something that really, um, really hit me after Martha and Chris's interview was, uh, I guess when they were talking about how Ella just felt like she was a burden to everybody and like, I just think that right now people are so hard on each other and if you're very judgmental or you're mean to somebody and, uh, you know, I don't, whatever, you guys get what I'm saying, but like if there is a situation where you can practice non-judgment and you can lead with a compassionate heart, you can change someone's day, you can change someone's emotion, you can change someone's life just in that tiny little frame so everything we've been talking about like fiercely protect yourself fiercely protect those who need you um fiercely protect your energy on social media and then be proud of the way that you interact with other people because you have absolutely no idea what people are going through and so especially in this insanely sensitive like hypersensitive and delicate time um be aware be compassionate to those uh delicate energies and Um, what I was trying to say after that interview was when we were talking about like delicate energies that might leave earlier, like it could be an animal, a plant, a spirit, a a person, all these different things. So just know that like your energy doesn't just extend to people. It can be to the environment and many other things. So body, compassionate heart, we create the world. And then I just wanted to earlier in the show, we talked about the quote corner about trust and confidence built on deliberate repeated action. So the yoga piece you know, what we're trying to do is take, you know, the conscious awareness and the breath work, and we want to be able to take it off of the meditation mat or your chair or whatever. And so the trust and confidence, if you want to have trust and confidence in your breath work and in your calm mind so that your body can connect, all those things we've been talking about, you have to practice it. And that's, this is yoga is one of those things about the, the trust and confidence. And if you could meditate on a little bit more loving kindness, then that'd be great too, because then 
be able to achieve a little bit more of that. So um, anyway. Create community. Create community, as uh, Andrew said. So last words on that was, um, I have no idea who said this, and a bunch of you guys will know it, but there was a piece about before you say something, ask, is it true? Second, is it necessary? And third, is it kind? And there's kind of a framework for thinking about things. So let's be extra kind to each other as uh, we move forward. So, okay, Em. All right, stick around for Ask George. Okay, here we go for Ask George. Can't wait. Oh, wait. All righty. There we go. Okay. So um, we have a quite the lineup of questions. I'm very excited about these. Okay, so first question is from Hannah Garcia. Um, George, Hi, who Hannah. is... Hi, Hannah. How are you today? I hope you're having a fabulous day, and I hope that if you're listening to this right now, uh, you smile because someone will see you smile, and then they'll smile. Pass it on. Who is one of your biggest influence in your life and someone you've looked up to all of your life? Hmm. <laughs> do we want to <laughs> hi mom <laughs> uh do we want to do family members here or should i do someone other than my family because i do talk about my family and what they mean to me and what they've always meant to me my entire life you know from my dad and football and um always being there for me um you know always coaching us in every single sport and always just you know telling us to have fun work hard and get better um you know, when you have that mindset and you have that support, you know, it makes uh, your life not as challenging. Um, you know, my mom and the love that she always shows us, always taking care of us, always knows how to make every situation a party. She does that really well. You know, she's absolutely fabulous. And <clears throat> she will tell me that I need to say that she all, I'm also, she's the reason I'm so athletic. Um, it's from her side of the family. Also have the hair from the Krager side of the family. Let's, I do. let's be honest. I'm waiting for somebody to pick up on a story about George's hair. Like, no offense, Dad. It's okay. Fabio. I don't know. I think Dad had some pretty sick locks back in I high did. school. He did. Yeah. We'll get a photo. And then also I had my sister who I grew up with who I did learn everything from her because I didn't have a brother. I had an older sister who um, dressed me up for fashion shows and also beat the crap out of me. But along the way, she also taught me all my lessons and... She never blamed me for anything, and she'd always take the heat from my parents. So that was always pretty awesome. You have someone like that to have your back. So I have role models all over my life. I've been blessed with that. I'm lucky. Um, she said from the very start, Claire's now in the picture yelling mm. at me for not talking about her. What up, Claire? Now, she said from when at my childhood, darling, I didn't know you back then. <laughs> You know, when I get a Claire question, I'll answer it. So maybe you should send in some Ask George questions, Claire. All right. Okay. I will say Thank you so for much Claire, for the question. Uh, Claire is literally one of the most decisive people I've ever met in my entire life, and that is a superpower. Except if you're choosing food on DoorDash. That's true. Then it's brutal. That's true. Postmates, sorry. She gets the, new the order in. Sponsor. All righty. Next question hey. is from Vanessa Mario. Marillo. I'm sure I'm not doing that right. Hi, I'm Vanessa. Go with I hope you're also having a great day. And uh, just give me a nice flex because I know hey. I can see you sometimes. Hi, what's up? All right. What's up? For being one of the top tight ends in the league, let's say the. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you are very down to earth. What would you say is what keeps you grounded? 
Oh, uh, well, you know, the last question that I was asked is a big part of that. My family keeps me grounded. Um, my wife keeps me grounded. Um, you know, everyone around me does a good job of, you know, just keeping me who I am. But, you know, for me personally, um, it's, it's, it's easy for me to stay grounded because, you know, if you're called, you know, one of the best tight ends in the league, um, that means people are coming for you. And if I try to take a day off or if I say, ah, you know, I'm good on this rep, I don't have to go that hard, then guys are getting gaining ground on me. And I don't want guys to gain ground on me. I want to excel past people. I want to be farther ahead of people. Um, you know, something that I always thought about is, um, you know, yes, I'm a start in the NFL, but how many 16, 17, 18-year-olds are in high school right now who want to be the next starting tight end, you know, for the 49ers? How many tight ends in college right now at big schools or small schools want to be the starting tight end in the NFL? And, um, you know, it's, it's my job to not let them take my job. And so that's how I wake up every day is I want to be the best me I can be uh, because I want to play this sport as long as I can until, you know, my body doesn't let me anymore. So that's, that is what motivates me, and um, that is why I'm grounded because you can't take shortcuts in football. It is a living, breathing thing. And if you take shortcuts or you try to cheat the game, it knows it, and it will spit you back out. It will humble you so quickly. You can be on top of the world one day, and the very next day in shambles. So Bam. you got to respect the game. And when you respect the game, it respects you. Football karma. That is a real damn thing. It's a real thing. thing. Bruce talked about it like ever since we were really little. And I just feel like it's <laughs> like some people believe in ghosts, right? Well, I'm not saying that we don't, but like football karma is a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's real. Ooh, great answer, Georgie. Thank you. That was two. That's my quota. All right. Um, you want one more? Oh, I got actually three more. They're really good. Are you a peanut butter fan? <laughs> if so, do you like Jif, like Jimmy G or Skippy? Yes. Okay, great. He likes organic peanut butter. <laughs> no, I Cut out not. the sugar. No, I do not. No. But I you like not. smooth over crunchy, right? It depends on what I'm craving at the time. Oh, really? You can go both ways. Like, I like, like, Bruce makes grilled peanut butter and jellies, crisps the bread a little bit. I like when it's crunchy right there because then so it good. gives it a little bit more texture. Yep. But normally, if I'm just making a normal PB&J, I usually do smooth. But I like the crunch. Okay. Uh, why does Jimmy never... Oh, and that question was from Jess Maz. Uh, this Hi, one Jess. This from... Gershon Singh, are you a Kundalini person? I need to know more about you. Um, okay, why does Jimmy never reply to your text, or is it just your text he doesn't reply to? Like, does wow. his phone not work, or is it you? No, um, you know, I thought it was me, and then I met plenty of other people who have um, fallen victim to this. Um, the non-text back from Trent Taylor to um, Nick Mullins to CJ Beathard to Nick Bosa. Mike McGlinchey, Joe Staley, Richard Sherman. We've all been left on red. And Jimmy, if you want to talk about it, we're here for you. Yep. And <laughs> just we're a, listening. Just ask for some help. Just buddy. ask for some help. Now, I will say this. He has been a lot better recently. I actually got a text back the other day within like four seconds. So like he was Ooh. on his phone, saw my text, and responded. And that is that was a first for me. So I texted him back, and I said, I appreciate that, but I'm not going to get used to it. And then he didn't respond. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve that one, though. Okay, last question okay. is from Betsy Vasquez. Hi, Betsy. Uh, and, aw, oh, hey there, George. Happy birthday again. I hope you had a great day. I had a fabulous George day. turned 27. Um, my question is, yes. who was wilder growing up, you or Emma or both? 
This is really fun. Um, so great thing was Emma got in trouble for everything in high school and early in college. And so then I was like, I don't want to do that. I and said a prime example of what not to do. She did a great job. And so I learned the things to <laughs> not. <laughs> Just this is an entire episode. So I learned a lot. I Betsy, 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 Betsy. Just Betsy, man. You just ripped train off the right off the track. Just through the. That's oh. not true. Mildly. Oh my gosh. Stop it. That was just high school. And like, yeah, okay. okay. Anyways, Let's, she, but I am still a wild child. And I, I think I'm peaking right now. I thoroughly, thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed my college years. So I am wild. We, uh, we all know how to have fun. That is what we do well. We are a really good time, even when it's just the five of us, which it usually is. And Dane and Deanie. And Dane and Deanie. Yeah. So um, I think we all get a little bit wild. I know Jan was probably the rowdiest in her days. She just rolled her eyes at us. Like rolled her eyes to the back of her head. Crazy town. Yeah. But um, all right, y'all. Those are great questions. Uh, Once again, absolutely no one is anywhere close on the numbers. So do you want to give them another sneak peek? Um, should I give him the last number or the second number? I think the second number. I don't know if the second number is going to, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Okay. The second number is a six. First number four, second number six. There should be some, should be some correlation there. That's not that hard. Pretty obvious. I'm just going to say it right now. But it gets harder. All right, last part of this. We are going to talk a little bit of football with GK. Uh, So, Football Corner with George. Football Corner with George and Bruce. Uh, And slightly Emma. And me. I'll start then. So, Niners are now three and two. Two and three. Two and three. Oh, yeah. Oh. Niners are now two and three. Thank you for that. The paper was wrong. She was was just reading the paper. Um, Lost to the Dolphins. You know what? I wrote that before Sunday. Oh, and I put in three and two. Oh, dude, you jinxed us. <laughs> I guess, dude. Football karma. Fun, uh, football fun, karma, fun right fact, there. Fun just, fact: I am incredibly superstitious. I am what they would call. I am super a superstitious. Witch. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that one. Uh, you know. Anyway, there we go. Okay, go, Emmy. All right. So Niners are now two and three. three. Uh, how do you feel? <laughs> well. I could feel better. Uh, you know, it's definitely a disappointing loss. Um, you know, I, we uh very confident going into the game. And, um, you know, obviously on offense, we just couldn't get it going. And we put our defense in bad positions. Um, so, you know, I think the offense, uh, we had a great team meeting on Monday. Um, I think guys really looked themselves in the mirror. And, you know, we addressed our problems. Because um, we're making it a lot harder than it needs to be. And we're making it hard on ourselves from our own personal mistakes. So we're going to try to fix the little things, get back on track, and just play some Niners football. And that's what we're excited about. And, you know, um, you don't really have to find motivation because this week is Sunday night football against our division rivals, the Rams, who are on a roll right now. But it doesn't – I mean, if you have to find motivation to play on Sunday night football, then you're, you're in the wrong, you know, occupation because Sunday night football is the greatest thing ever. Um, you know, everyone in the world's watching. It's still Sunday. The game – you know, there are like eight, ten games before you. Everyone's just waiting for Sunday night football, and bang, you get to play in it. So I know we're motivated. We're excited. Um, Rams will be fun. You know, i got a lot of guys on that team that I know. Um, you got, always play great against the Rams, too. Like, those are you. some of my favorite games. Yep. Yeah, I, I have played well against the Rams, so that, that has been fun. Other than 
the first time we played the Rams, I was very, very bad. I gave up a uh, missed protection, gave up a sack my rookie year. Trent had a touchdown, though, Trent Taylor. Mm. And then we messed up our celebration in the end zone five times. But it was such a good route. This is a fun Trent Taylor story. The route was so good that they showed his teach tape. And so then every year that they show the route, they show the failed celebration. And so I, oh. me and Shrink get roasted minimum <laughs> once in OTAs and then once in training camp for when they show the route again. And we get completely burnt every single time. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, that, that's tough. But we've moved past it. We are. We're, we're better than that now. Um, but like I said, we're just looking forward to playing, playing football again because the only way to feel better is to get a win. Okay, no doubt. So, yeah, Rams come in 4-1, uh, wins over Dallas, Eagles, Giants, and Washington. They've won the NFC East and uh, lost to Buffalo in week three, uh, 35-32. So, uh, I don't know, there's some uh, obviously some great players, George. I don't know if you want to comment on any of these guys or not, but the tight ends that will be playing, Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett, are coming in, both pretty good players. Yeah, no, they're awesome. Um, I, I kind of know them a little bit from Cousin Hank, who played for the Rams. Right. Uh, he's practice squad for two years. Um, but so I've met, uh, I've really talked to Tyler through, um, you know, just social media, um, checking on each other in the off seasons and stuff, just make sure we're doing well. Um, congratulate him when he has a big game cause that dude's been balling. Um, and then I'm pretty sure me and Gerald met at the, um, combine. And so that was when we first met. Same year. That was pretty fun. Yeah. We're the same year. Um, yeah, they got, so yeah, I'm a big fan of their tight ends. Um, and I like it when there's great tight ends on football teams. Yep. I do too. Yeah. So, and uh, let's see. So tight ends, and then obviously defensively, they're playing pretty stout ball. So you got the big dude inside. You got Aaron Donald inside. Um, they've got Jalen Ramsey, and they've got John Johnson, who is a safety, who we think you'll be seeing a little bit about. So uh, can you tell us just a little bit about their personality on defense and what you're expecting? Yeah, they got some dogs. I mean, Aaron Donald has been the best player in football since he's been in the league, basically. So, um like I said to Solly, I'm really glad guys like him play on the interior and I don't have to block him right. often or if at all. So, um, good luck, Aaron. Don't rip my head off. You're awesome. <laughs> not no, but yeah, that's not what – oh, geez. Close enough. He's struggling today. Um, <laughs> but, no, it's when you get to play against someone like that, it's – and even just watch on film. Like, he does it right. Uh, strong, fast, explosive. It's just – it's amazing to watch. So, Huge fan of uh, Aaron Donald and his tape because he always puts great things on tape every single week, which is fun. Uh, yeah, they got Ramsey, who's an absolute dog as well. Um, got a new contract, deserves every penny of it because uh, you can kind of tell that he is a – I mean, they got they got a strong defense that has a lot of big heartbeats and, you know, guys that can control Ooh. games and guys that can take over. And when you got a guy on the D-line and a guy in the safety that can do that, it's it's pretty impressive. And then Is that a Niner thing? No. Who says that? I That's do. a George thing? Um, and then they have their starting safety. They have a lot of big dogs with big heartbeats. Heartbeats. Big yeah. heartbeats. I've not heard that before. Like they're the heartbeat of the defense? No, I, I'm totally. I, yeah, no, but they got multiple. Yeah, So that no. makes the defense a little bit harder to yeah. go against. That's, that's, and then, you know, who I'm a fan of. Dropping pearls. Uh, John Johnson. I'm pretty sure we're in the same class as well. Um, but we've been battling since my rookie year. And uh, I just like him as a player because he hits hard, actually, and he tackles people. Yeah. I like that. Oh, guys. So it'll be a great challenge. Uh, so Niners need to get back on track. And so they're working hard to kind of get the, the ship righted. And this uh, turns into quite a streak here. The next five games are going to be quite a challenge. So anyway. One week at so, a time, baby. One week at a time. Week at a so time. Rams are in. And so we're excited about that. So 
that then, ladies and gentlemen, is... That is episode six. Thank you yep. so much, everyone, for Ooh. watching. Thank, thank you, you, Georgie. Um, thank you to the Thomas family, Solomon, Martha, Chris. Thank you to Andy. Thank you to the entire AFSP, AFSP organization. Um, make sure you guys, if you need anything, reach out. Uh, make sure you get your questions in by Tuesday before noon. and then, Tuesday before noon. And then yep. always uh, guess some numbers. Uh, just throw them out there, y'all, because no one's any any yeah. closer. But um, all right. Then so don't forget to vote. Register and vote. Register and vote. 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 Compassionate and, uh, heart. Yep. And reach, exercise that ability. Do it. And uh, and reach out a little bit. So take, let's take care of our brothers and sisters wherever they may be. So. Anyway, have a great week. And All right, we'll everyone. Thank you so much. Thank and you. we are out in three, two, one.